Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to films, and in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of September, which means it is Masterclass Month. Uh, and this time around, we've been delving into the depths of the long-lived live-action Batman film franchise, The Batmans. Um, so the way we've been going about this, this Masterclass, is uh, we've been reviewing uh, all of the live-action Batman films um, by director era, essentially. So we started with the Tim Burton era, and we moved on to Joel Schumacher, and now we are firmly in the closing act of the Christopher Nolan era, uh, as we found that in talking about Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, um, we had enough to say that uh, three hours later, um, we were kind of tapped out, uh, so we split the episode in half. And uh, So this week you're getting... Uh, a a single movie review in the form of The Dark Knight Rises from 2012. Um, so Kyle, um, the way we tend to start these is uh, we, we talk about like our personal history uh, with each of these films. Um, so obviously this was directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, what, what's your background with The Dark Knight Rises? So I actually remember very vividly going to the movie theater to see this. This one and the second one I remember very well. Um, I was living in North... Um, North Seattle, and there's a nice, probably the best movie theater in the Seattle area is in Northgate, and I went with my roommate at the time. I didn't smoke any weed uh, before going, which sometimes I did do, because I could just walk to the movie theater, and so Washington State, that's legal, and uh, I remember going and watching it, expecting it to be awesome, and I came out of it feeling like, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that, and it made me also like... I've always been an, an exerciser, but I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta go bulk up, man. I gotta get that Bane bod. Like, <laughs> I need to go do some curls or something. Um, so I was like, I felt like motivated too to like go to the gym. Um, and I kind of kept it. And my my brother and I definitely discussed this movie afterwards. He's like, I thought it was stupid. My brother thought it was dumb. And uh, I was like, You're out of your mind. And I'm like, you, you, what, 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 what are you, what, what are you holding against this film? And like you crazy person, and he made his points, and I'm like, yeah, I disagree. But as I've gotten older and I've rewatched it, I think this is my third time rewatching it. I kind of have to agree with him. I have a lot more problems with this film than I do than I remember having when I first watched it. Yeah, uh, I I think that's a perfectly reasonable way of looking at the film. Um, it's it's no surprise that uh, you know it's the closing chapter of a trilogy. Um, even Christopher Nolan himself has you know, confess to the fact that it's like, you know, I was a little hesitant to jump in there because I can't think of many number threes in the series that are the best. Mm -hmm. um, usually there's diminishing returns. Uh, some, there's many number twos that are the best of a franchise, but number three, it's pretty hard to, it's pretty hard to point to any off the top of your head. Um, and yeah, this movie has some serious problems. Um, I think the general impression of it from, you know, Joe Schmo, Joe Public, or whatever, and you know, movie critics. I think they can all agree that the movie has many problems. It tends to be a very divisive film. Um, it gives me enough to appreciate it, and I think I've watched it more than I have Batman Begins. Um, but as we're both getting older, I want to say that the uh, two-hour and forty-five-minute runtime is probably a factor in why you have some negative feelings towards it. It's like you're asking too much of me and giving too little. Mm -hmm. Um, which makes all the sense in the world. But um, so, like you said, you were pretty hyped going into the movie. 
Yes. Uh, I was very excited for the movie. I was excited for Bane. Like, I I feel like that was going to be a really fun character for Batman. I'm like, what, what's the third one going to be? They did the Joker. I mean, my initial thought was when they're, like, they're doing a third Batman, I'm like, who's going to be the villain? And then someone immediately was like, it's going to be Bane. I'm like, oh. I'm like, but Bane's a moron. How is he uh, <laughs> How is he going to, to pull this off? Little did I know, and you informed me last week when we talked about this, like, no, 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 no. Bane in the comics is actually very intelligent. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. Um, so, yeah, going in, I was I was super excited to see what they were going to do with Bane. Yeah, um, yeah, I think we touched on that with the Joel Schumacher version of the character, that uh, Batman and Robin, um, that version, the Jeep Swenson version. Yes, um, Jeep Swenson. You know, for the general public, that was probably their only insight into what the character was. Um, and maybe the animated series where he had a single episode and he was literally a luchador that they flew in <laughs> from Mexico City um, to beat up Batman. Uh, I think he was hired by the mob in that episode. Um but yeah, the general public probably had very little insight into what the character was supposed to be other than his visual aesthetic as presented in the trailers and, uh, you know, whatever rumblings in the in the like early press releases were about like Tom Hardy's performance, um, which is interesting because a lot of times when you're doing something based on an established pop culture property, you really want to lean into the things that the people know, mm-hmm. where it's like it's it's actually kind of amazing that they're able to get people hyped about a character that probably very few, very few people knew about. I was going to mention that you, you mentioned you want to talk about the, I think it's, it's fitting to go ahead and talk about the marketing at the top, uh, yeah. like the trailer for this, because I remember being kind of like, I was, I was looking forward to it, but I was a little bit pessimistic. I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. Like they did have like the cool shot of Bane coming up out of like from the underground with his jacket, uh, his collar like flipped up and he looks really cool. And then there's like this little kid just singing at a football game and I'm like, huh, I don't know about all that. I'm like, okay, you've got the, you've got the design down. Okay. I was worried about that. Like, what are you going to do with Bane? He looks pretty cool. But I'm like, what? I don't know about this singing at a football game, though, or at a stadium. Like, what's this have to do with anything? Yeah, it, it had a very uh, different approach to things, where it's a very cold open to the trailer. But it's it's interesting you, you bring up the Mark thing, though, because if I remember right, the, the earliest teaser we got, be, before we even got a proper trailer, um, was a bunch of extra footage that didn't make it into the film. Um, it was the scene when uh, Commissioner Gordon, who is now properly Commissioner Gordon, finally, uh, is in a hospital. It's after he's been injured. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the scene where Bruce Wayne comes to visit him. But if I remember right, the initial teaser for the movie was him laying in a hospital bed looking like he was half dead um, on like a respirator and talking to someone who we we can infer is Bruce Wayne, but I don't think we even see him on camera. And it's just him talking about how you abandon us and things are things are about to get real dark and then title dark Knight rises. Um, so it was a really strange way of the doing the initial marketing campaign, but, um, I may as well talk about my, um, my personal history with this movie. Um, I was unimaginably hyped for this film, um, for sure. (laughs) Um, because I, I knew who Bane was. Um, I had, like I said, I think on previous episodes, Uh, The very first Batman comics I can remember reading uh, were the ones where he did battle with Batman for the very first time. Um, So for me, it was like, holy shit, I finally get to see my my first and favorite Batman comic realized on on the big screen. It's awesome. Um, 
And when it came time to see the movie, um, also it needs to be said, my initial thoughts on Tom Hardy cast as Bane, I was, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was a little worried because I hadn't seen anything of his, but I had read about his performance in Bronson, um, which did a lot to convince me that he may have had he may have had the tool set to represent the character. I don't remember what he had been in up to that point besides Inception. That's the only thing that I knew of. I he was I think mostly in the UK uh, for the early stages of his career. I mean, he was in Star Trek Nemesis when he was a very young man, and I've always pointed out to you he's in Black Hawk Down. Um, Everybody's in Black Hawk Down. I know, but I, I think it's his first film role. He's one of the LMG guys. Uh, he's Twombly or whatever. Uh, there's so there's so many people. I think I think Abe from fucking Mad Men is the one of the dudes. I actually have to check on that because <laughs> I'm I'm in the part of Mad Men where Peggy's dating Abe, and I'm like I think he's I think he's a Black Hawk Down guy. I mean, if you were a young man in the UK, in like in 2001 or whatever yeah you were in black hawk down yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mostly just knew him for, from star trek nemesis when he was you know like rail thin and was supposed to be a clone of captain picard um that movie I, sucks by the way <laughs> i remember him just in inception he was kind of the dickish guy he's a guy that he was kind of a dick to joseph gordon levitt i'm like i don't know if i like that guy and now i can't stand joseph gordon levitt i'm like you know what tom hardy was right to be a dick to him in that movie <laughs> <laughs> um but back to like my personal history with the movie itself. Um, we'll get to Tom Hardy for sure, but um, yeah, uh, just the announcement that Bane was going to be the villain. It was what I had been wanting for a Batman movie for ages. It was um, like you said, we we ran through a couple of heavy hitters in Batman's Rogues Gallery just in the Christopher Nolan era alone, where we mm. had Rachel Ghoul, uh, who's a perfect match for him in every way, and then we have the Joker, who uh, is Weasley and, and can outsmart him by being random and crazy um but when it comes time for a physical threat it's something that i've been wanting to see in a james bond movie for a long time as well because aside from like GoldenEye in recent years it's very seldom that a, a bond villain like not his henchman but a bond villain uh, can match can match him like face to face and hand to hand as well as you know mentally um, so when it came time to you know bring Bane to the table, it's like, oh, well, he's really known for little else other than breaking the guy's back. Um, I think they're going to throw down at some point. Also, a James Bond villain, all you have to do is basically uh, not drink and get some good sleep, and I think you can probably match James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Man's an alcoholic. Yeah, for real. His, his insides are radioactive. <laughs> he's got a fatty liver. Yeah, for real. But... Um, for me, uh, I saw this movie in the theater twice. Oh. Um, yes. Uh, I've done that maybe one other time in my entire life. Uh, I'm trying to think of a movie I've seen twice in the theater. Yeah, it's uh, if you're really into the cin- like the cinema experience, I'm not. Um, then I'm sure this is a common thing for a lot of hardcore movie fans. But for me, I think I saw Men in Black 2. I know, not a good movie, but I saw that in the theater twice because um, some gal asked me out and wanted to see that, and I didn't have the heart to tell her I'd already seen it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, um, I think I don't think I've I haven't I don't think I've gone to the theater to watch a movie twice. I have, however, gone to see two movies that I didn't want to go see in the theater. If that's if that counts, uh, the first two Twilight movies. There were girls involved with both of them. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a, a recurring thing in this conversation. 
Um, because yes, there was a, a girl involved in the second, my second viewing of the Dark Knight Rises as well. Um, my first sense. viewing though was pretty fucking cool. Um, I saw it on release night at midnight uh, in Olympia, Washington, so seventy miles oh, south wow. of where I live and grew up. Um, I drove down uh, to see it with my friend uh, and former employer, and uh, we saw a special midnight screening of all three Dark Knight movies. No shit. In a row. In one sitting. Um, That's my fun. ass was fucking asleep by the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was real early in the fucking morning by the time we got done. Because these movies are all pretty fucking long. Well, some theaters, and I think it's like the uh, the ones that serve food and alcohol, they'll do the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition Marathon, which is 12 hours. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's 12 or maybe even 14 hours. I'm not sure. I'm like... I'm all for doing that. I've done it. I loved Marathon Day. It was it was just a great day all around. But being in a public place and doing it, I don't think so. That would be difficult. Yeah, the the toilet situation was something that I was thinking about the entire drive down there. I was like, mm-hmm. oh god, is this going to be a nightmare? And then like I, I smuggled in a bunch of Cliff bars because I was oh. like, I'm going to get hungry. But you're... that's not. You got to get your fluids, man. Cliff bars can wreck your shit. <laughs> I thought you said. I thought you were going to say you got a Deer Park uh, gallon jug of water and just uh, <laughs> took that in with you so you could pee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't need help with that. But um, but yeah, I got to see all three movies in a row, um, which. You know, it realistically is not the best way to watch this one, especially because you had, you know, almost six hours of movie preceding it. So you're pretty worn out by the time you get to the main event. Mm -hmm. Um, But in some ways, I think it improved my impression of it because I was so beat down by the time we got to it that (laughs) anything would have made me happy. Um, And it did in the moment. I I really liked it. I think my impression of it was very similar to yours. But um, Second time I went to see it was on a on a date with a gal who I really had no business going out with. That was a mm. dumb move. That was a that was a dark chapter of my life. Um, but she wanted to see it, and again I was like, I think I'm just gonna pretend I haven't seen it <laughs> and yeah. take her to it because it's the big movie. She's into nerdy shit. I'm I am too. Um, but yeah, it it worked for me the second time too. But in in more recent days, yeah, this uh, this movie I can acknowledge has some pretty serious problems and. They're mostly relegated to the second half. Yes, there is actual the there's a moment where the movie becomes unwatchable. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, do you want me to just, do you want me to give the plot real quick? Absolutely, Kyle. That seems to be your your thing that you do. Okay, so I thought about this one a little bit. Okay, <laughs> so an out of commission uh, and riddled with injuries, Batman uh, comes back onto the scene to try to take down a domestic terrorist, and then. Batman has to come out of injury to try to take down a domestic terrorist. <laughs> yes, uh, essentially the same plot. Uh, takes a takes a breather in the middle and then we reset. Restarts. Yeah, reset. <laughs> we restart the movie. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I realized that watching re- I rewatched um, up to the th- up to the uh, the. I'll just go ahead and say it now. The movie basically stops being good once the stadium explodes. As soon as he starts talking, I'm like, "This is done," and that's when I stop watching the movie again. I'm like, "I can't, I can't get any further. This is this is done for me." Yeah, um, Kyle and I have talked about this a few times before we recorded this, but um, yeah, it's almost like a very distinct cutoff point where the movie really loses its luster. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's the stadium sequence. As soon as the bomb goes off. And Bane starts speechifying. 
which is not something we've really seen him do in the movie up to this point. As soon as that character shift happens uh, and Batman is thoroughly out of the picture um, with, with no hope of him returning anytime soon, uh, the movie just kind of trudges along uh, until the, the closing act and then it doesn't really live up to you know what it was promising. Because if, if you're going to remove your hero from that large of a chunk of the story and you're going to set the stakes that high, uh, you really got to pull through. Um, and they unfortunately do not. Um, and also, like I feel like some of uh, Christopher Nolan's ideas of spectacle may, may be just like personally different from my own. Uh, because mm -hmm. what, what he gives us is, is pretty fucking cool. It's just not my brand of cool, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and it all, it's also very different from the style of climax that we had from the previous two films. And I, I found that to be very disappointing personally. Mm. Now, we, I do want to say at the top here that while I don't really care for the second half of the movie, the opening of this film is probably my favorite of all the movies. Yeah, um, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast, um, I don't know if he agrees with you as like the, the best sequence or best opening of all three films but um he speaks very highly of it as well and yeah it's a tremendous sequence i mean um, i was re-watching the dark knight i'm like that that robbery that whole sequence is fucking awesome like just being introduced to the joker without even knowing who it is yet it, it's really good um that whole sequence is great however the action like what actually happens uh when we were introduced to bane is just an awesome sequence yeah, we didn't really talk about that, that opening bank heist too much uh, on our Dark Knight episode. But yeah, it, all that needs to be said is that it's a really amazing like cold opener uh, in the style of like a Bond movie where they just kind of throw you in there with a really dramatic action scene. Um, I remember in the theater having some trouble understanding the dialogue from all the clowns, um, mm. which was a bit of a problem. And the gunshots were fucking loud as hell. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it added to the impact of things. And when it all comes together and drives off in the bus it's it's a good payoff it's like wow that was a very clever sequence um and yeah the the plane heist sequence is uh expertly choreographed um just chore the choreography and just the basic conception of of like how they carried out this heist is pretty fucking cool which is why i think it's just a little bit better than the dark knight uh because yeah it's a bank robbery and it was just very meticulously planned out it was very methodical and that made it really cool and how you get to be introduced to the Joker is pretty neat. But yes, it's the conception of what they're doing with the plane, which would make this whole this whole scene really awesome. Oh yeah, no, just from a choreography standpoint, it's just really cool seeing this really really intricate plan just come together so seamlessly. And in interspersed within that, we get a lot of really cool character moments. Yes, uh, where we get a proper introduction of Bane, like complete with like slow unmasking so he gets his glory moment where he gets to look cool um then we get to see that he is crazy fucking strong because he can break fucking handcuffs just yeah. like without thinking about it um and he's unflappable he, he has no sense of danger or whatnot like despite being you know held hostage by the cia or whatever by the way that little finger guy is the worst the worst <laughs> cia operative ever he Man, he's his character. His character arc on Game of Thrones is really good. And let me tell you, buddy, he gets his because uh, he's a little shit. There's a reason why he's called Littlefinger. Um, 
because uh, he's a little he's a little shit in that show. Um, I I have we have to mention the voice, like what they did with the voice. Now I've definitely gone back. I, I heard one of the things that people people had already seen the film. And my brother was even like, yeah, the voice is fucking stupid. I'm like, really? I'm like, I I don't think that I don't think that would be a problem. And they're like, yeah, he sounds like uh, he, I forgot who he said he sounded like, but uh, maybe the pet cemetery guy. No. Something I don't know. My brother, Fred Gwynn. He sounded like yeah, like Fred Gwynn or something. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Um, but I I wish they would have kept the original like the 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 really deep uh, monotone like uh bar- like the baritone uh, Bane voice. But they said it was hard for people to understand. I've gone back and I'm like yeah, it it could be kind of hard to understand, but it hasn't been like doctored yet. But I I could be wrong, and maybe it was too difficult to understand him in the theater. Um. I disagree, uh, because I, I like what he was doing, um, because it's a it's a really common thing for me. I I, I really enjoy this type of character. Um, I don't enjoy the fact that they transposed it onto Bane, uh, because it that's not essential. That's not really the character that I know and love. Um, it works for this movie just fine um, as a plot device and whatnot, which I do have some serious issues with. But like. Working within the confines of the script, yes, the the character math adds up. But what I'm getting at here is, I, I like um, the externally powerful and uh, like internally flimsy character. Um, it's something that I've seen Ray Fiennes do many times in his career. Like, mm. if you look at Bane, he's a he's a fucking monster, um, but he has a tremendous Achilles heel, and he also has an emotional one in the form of Talia, who comes yeah. up later in the movie. Um, but I, I like that that weird contradiction between it's this really like almost like jovial like almost prim and proper voice uh, that's embodied within a like a hulking beast exterior where it it makes you it makes you like furrow your brow and just be completely unsure of what what kind of person you're dealing with it's like you sound so like educated and like happy but you wear this like crazy mask. And you're a hulking brute. Like I really don't know how to treat you. I don't know what kind of impression to make of you. See, I think it would have been a little bit better if he was this hulking brute, and he was just terrifying. Like he had the really scary voice to go along with it. Um, I do love his uh, his delivery of uh, like, "Oh, you got yourself caught. Now what?" And he's like, "What's your plan now?" He's like, "Crashing this plane." I'm like, "Wait, what's he gonna do?" Like that's what it really said. <laughs> like, what the fuck's gonna happen? And then what happens is he crashes the fucking plane. <laughs> With yeah. ones, with no survivors. Yeah, with no survivors. <laughs> with no survivors. <laughs> uh, no, um, that whole sequence is tremendous. But the uh, Littlefinger, um, the reason why I say he is the worst, the worst CIA operative ever is the first thing he says, Dr. Pavel, I'm CIA. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, everyone can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> then they get on the plane and I... His performance, I don't know if he has trouble covering his accent or he something. Does. Yes. He does. Yeah, he's terrible at it. But he's mm. doing the thing where it's actually kind of entertaining because he's trying to, he's being what uh, Joe Pesci would call a telephone tough guy. <laughs> it's like when he's at distance from the action, he can be a real tough guy. But you put him in the in the heat of it, he's not going to have anything to offer. His American accent isn't isn't bad. It's, it's his execution, like his actual face when he's, doing the accent like you look like you're doing an accent he puts the wrong emphasis on the wrong (laughs) syllable (laughs) that was mike myers like a comedic genius better at doing accents than like 
professionally trained actors. No, it, it's it's obvious he's covering an accent. He's not doing it well. But like even his line delivery, like you said, his face is contorting in weird in weird shapes where it's like. I think you're Are thinking you okay? too hard about what you say. Are you okay? Do you smell toast? Environment. <laughs> but like, like the line, like when he he asks about the mask, like if I take that off, will you die? It's like you're a big guy. <laughs> like, I still do that. I still do that for you. <laughs> it would be extremely painful for you. For you. Um, but yeah, obviously we have so many wonderful things to say about this opener and like like we've been saying i think um in every movie of christopher nolan's we've talked about like this feels like an audition for a bond movie because this is a bond movie called opener um and in terms of execution it's it's really amazing how they did it because it's i mean there's miniatures being utilized there's a lot of actual footage of of the two planes flying together that was utilized but it's all so seamlessly put together that you i you would be hard pressed to point out when you're looking at a miniature and when you're looking at the real plane yeah um, no, and again like we have people getting shot left and right in the scene there's not a drop of blood but it doesn't diminish the excitement at all mm -mm. i don't need blood in this scene yeah and then we get the really cool moment where again character moments where we get to see bane enact this plan you know goes off without a hitch and then uh, we get the fire rises moment where there's a dude who's like clearly getting ready to strap himself up and like leave with the rest of him. And he's like, no, one of us of the wreckage, brother. I don't think they did, but okay. I think that was just a power move. I mean, that guy had greasy hair. Maybe he smelled bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, yeah, he, he will, he willingly without even blinking says like, oh, I guess I'll stay with the plane. Bye. What, what is the music playing in the background during this scene? Is it pretty? It's pretty much percussion heavy, isn't it? Yes, um, Hans Zimmer uh, returned to score this film. Uh, he worked on all three films, but this is the only one of them that uh, James Newton Howard is not involved in. Uh, he, I'm not going to use the word recycles, uh, but remixes a lot of his music from the previous two, uh, two films. Um, but for each of the new characters, that would be Catwoman and Bane. Uh, he comp he composed completely new themes and motifs for them specifically um and yeah bane's theme uh play or actually i think it's technically the league of shadows theme in this movie um mm. but yeah it's it's like war drums it's very percussive but then we also have a chant um it's that deshi basara um it's just those two words repeated over and over and over, oh, and over again yeah um so it's a combination of drums and that uh that plays over the um this entire sequence, actually, um, the entire sequence is highlighted by the music uh, from the opening tracking shot of the Jeep driving up to the plane uh, to the moment the plane drops uh, and, you know, crashes to the ground. Was there any particular uh, quirks that you noticed in this movie? Um, I mean, I, off the top of my head, it's going to take me a second to collect my thoughts. But the first one that comes to mind is IMAX. Um, Christopher Nolan is a huge proponent proponent of the IMAX format, um, and he started utilizing it um, earlier in his career, uh, most notably in The Dark Knight. But by the time we get to this one in 2012, uh, he was using it as much as he could. Um, and this movie has a lot more instances of IMAX sequences. Um, when you watch it on Blu-ray, you'll notice that the aspect ratio changes. Um, like when it goes full frame, that's when you're watching an IMAX sequence. 
Um, and this one, this movie had quite a bit more IMAX footage in it than The Dark Knight did. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't notice anything in particular. Uh, we'll we'll come back around to it. Um, but before we do that, uh, do you want to you want to start running down the characters? Uh, uh, our, yeah. Our last at bat with the uh, the Nolan era cast. Yeah, I think the only three that are worth noting um, are Catwoman, Bane, and Robin, quote unquote. Well, those are the new players, but we should we should start with just like touching on the changes uh, to the old cast because it, I think it's really neat that we got a very cohesive trilogy and that nobody nobody left the cast other than Katie Holmes. Um, this, this movie was going to make a billion dollars. Absolutely, nobody's walking away from this. You can negotiate salaries and stuff like that. Like, yeah, well, no, that that's the current climate that we live in. But look at you know the. Joel Schumacher movies and the Tim Burton movies. You know, we we had two different Batman's in Joel Schumacher's day. Trevor, do you forget? Do you have you forgotten how much of a cultural sensation The Dark Knight was? If Christopher Nolan's behind a third Batman movie, I'm like, this is going to break the box office. <laughs> well, yeah, it it didn't have to be good. Um, if it, it made a handsome, handsome bundle of cash. <laughs> Name your um, price. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we should we should definitely touch on like the major players of the cast, like yeah. Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne. Like, Christian, always start with Batman. Yes, this one he is uh, he's just broken down. Like he's been a recluse for like what four? How many years has it been? Four? Eight years? Eight. Eight years. So eight years. Um, in real time, it's only been what six years since the last film was uh, released. Four. Not... Four years. Oh yeah, that's right. Two thousand eight, two thousand twelve. I was thinking this was uh, Dark Knight was uh, two thousand six. You're right. Um, yeah, so this was released in 2012, so it's a believable amount of time. Christian or Christian Bale's Batman, uh, he's out of commission, he's weird, uh, he's just kind of hanging out in one little wing of his house. Uh, he's having, He has like a whole party. Did you notice that the senator that ends up getting uh, taken by Catwoman was the uh, Bruce Wayne's dad in uh, Joker? Yes, yes yeah. I did notice that. I, I was watching, I'm like, that guy looks very familiar. I'm like, was that... Was that his dad? Was that was that Bruce Wayne's dad in the Joker? Yeah, it was. I, I know him mostly as the uh, the quarterback from the Keanu Reeves movie, The Replacements. Um, he plays the original quarterback before Keanu's uh, scrub quarterback replaces him. <laughs> he looks like um, Werner Herzog would uh, would cast him to play Werner Herzog in a movie. <laughs> to me, he just looks like a guy who watches a lot of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> See, That's think, my opinion of him. Is he not an English actor? I fig- I thought he would just be a huge Man U fan. I, I think he's a Middle America guy. Really? I'm mistaken. Maybe. How about that? I'll, that? That's my impression of him. I'll look he into that. He seems like that kind of guy. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Bruce Wayne is battered and broken. He's just had too many run-ins. He's been out of commission. Batman hasn't been around. Um, and I th- he's he has to get back into the game. Um I do like his little doctor visit that he has. He's like, no, I don't advise you go hella skiing. He's like, you have no cartilage in your in your knees. Like, we get, like, a rundown. Like, his body is just done. Yeah, uh, that scene serves a, a fun dual purpose of not only, like, really hammering home the point that his body is not where it needs to be in order to be Batmaning, um, but it also, you know, is how he gets to see Commissioner Gordon in the hospital. Um, that's a... That's, good scripting there but is, isn't that one of the guys from uh reno, reno? Yeah. yeah new boot goofing 
Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I never watched that show, but obviously I know that face and that mustache. I started rewatching it. I just got like a little free trial to check it out on Comedy Central. I'm like, do I want to do this little Comedy Central thing for three ninety nine a month? I'm like, nah, I don't really want to. Uh, but I watched like the first few episodes of Reno Nine One One. That show is so fucking funny. It's still really funny. I've seen some of those episodes several times. And I'm like, oh my god, this is great. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's. He's a writer, and he I think he does a lot of, di- of directing with the comedy stuff he does. I think he directed quite a few episodes of that show. Yeah, I mean, that tends to happen when you have a cast working together long enough. The, the actors start getting, you know, behind-the-scenes roles as well. Like, I mean, for fuck's sake, Power Rangers, Bulk and Skull ended up directing that series no shit. at some point. Yeah, for real. Yeah, those two <laughs> numb nuts can take care of... 12 minutes of that show yeah <laughs> yeah for real the rest of it's all you know Japanese Japan special effects footage <laughs> I, it blows my mind that I never picked that up as a kid I'm like why is the the, the screen just looks different it just looks completely it's all different. grainy and like yeah. looks shitty <laughs> it's like shit I don't know why but okay <laughs> it looks like it's from the 80s but the kids look like they're from the 90s <laughs> this is really weird um but yeah uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman in this movie like you said um, the idea is that he's he's kind of beat down in every sense of the word. His body's not where it needs to be. Uh, he's been a recluse for eight years. Actually, I think that's a strange um, element of the of the script in some ways, is that the way they tell the story is that uh, the conclusion of the Dark Knight, when he runs away from the cops after you know killing Harvey Dent uh, on purpose or otherwise doesn't really matter. That's the last time Gotham City saw Batman. Um, so he retired that night. Has nobody um, noticed the correlation between Batman disappearing and Playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne just going off the map? Yeah, turning into a sad sack overnight and <laughs> like not not showing up in public anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe after that fundraiser, people like maybe people were just like, "Oh man, he must be really bummed out that Harvey's dead or something." Or how quickly Batman showed up to a penthouse to Bruce Wayne's penthouse when the Joker was there. Yeah, a very secure penthouse, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Gaining entry is difficult. Like, where did he come in from? Like, there's no windows that can be opened. Like, yeah. the elevator, you needed like security clearance to get in. He didn't crash through the ceiling like Bat- Val Kilmer and Batman uh Batman Forever. Yeah. Nice entrance. His was better. <laughs> Your entrance was good. His was better. Yeah, but um, yeah, I actually really like. Um, I feel like Christian Bale kind of like hit his stride at some point with this role, where you know, if you do something this many times in a row, you're going to be looking for different angles to play with it. And I actually like his approach to the character. I like you. He he sounds weary. Like you can hear it in his voice. He's doing some sort of regional accent that I don't know if it has anything tied to it but like both him and gary oldman are doing something where they sound more i don't know slightly more east coast i guess than they were in the previous films maybe they were trying trying to do a little bit more of an east coast accent as possible um i I wasn't going to mention um the controversy surrounding the film but now that you've mentioned it with uh, christian bale i kind of have to to mention it the the shooting of course that happened uh the opening weekend uh with this film i forgot that um Heath Ledger passed away. Was it right before the film was released or after? It was before, I think. Yeah, so both of these movies, like, he's had that hanging over his head. Like, there's just like a, like, uh, just like a cloud over both of these movies for him. I never thought about that. Yeah, that, that has to suck for all involved. Yeah, all involved, sorry. But yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of unfortunate that these, these movies are, like, real, our problems with them aside are really good. 
but it's unfortunate that you have these these two negative like these really bad incidents that surround the films well yeah and and i think it's impossible to talk about this movie without talking about the the heath ledger aspect of things Mm -hmm. Um, because as as we mentioned on the previous episode um it it was more than likely um that the joker was intended to be involved in in further adventures of christopher nolan's batman um and the fact that we don't even mention him uh, just feels i know it was done out of respect but it also feels somehow false where it's like mm, like we address the the adventures from the previous films by constantly talking about harvey dent um but the real lasting legacy of the movie for for us the people who consume the movies is of course the joker like much more so than aaron eckhart's two-phase well i think that they both are like more or less anarchists, but Bane is a domestic terrorist, arguably. The I think what probably would have happened was that they would have. Bane is the worst business partner I've ever seen in this film. Like, he is awful. Uh, but I think that's probably what would have happened was that they would have used the Joker somehow, and then would have just just got rid of him. And well, the the fan theory and i don't know if this is the right time to talk about it but the fan theory i think involved um the joker being set against bane in some fashion mm. like a counterinsurgency essentially like maybe jealousy like he's just like no this is my like i get to do this stuff yeah this town, needs an, enema. This town <laughs> needs an enema <laughs> no it would be something like that because all the prisoners from blackgate are freed by bane um the whole city's in anarchy anyway so it's like well, there can only be one king of the mountain, you know. Hmm. Maybe, maybe the clown has something to say about that. Maybe, and they maybe the clown doesn't want the whole fucking town to blow up because they, he's having too much fun there. Or they could have done a Garland Green in Con Air where he just like he gets out and they forgot that the Joker got out, and you just kind of see him like go off and like, oh shit, we let the Joker go. Yeah, and you could have a repeat of uh, how the Dark Knight began, where Batman is kind of weighing the risk and reward of chasing down the mob versus tracking down a clown and uh, at that point it would be pretty obvious that it's like I don't care about anything other than the clown now <laughs> because I've seen what happens if you leave the clown alone that's probably my favorite Batman delivery in that entire movie is the one man of the entire mob he can wait like, <laughs> it's just such a weird thing to say in that voice like it, one man of the entire mob he can wait there's no pause. It's just a weird sense. <laughs> One man in the entire mob. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> well, I mean, breath control when you're doing that voice is actually kind of difficult. So maybe he maybe he really just had to get it out quick. Where are the other drugs going? Where are the other drugs going? <laughs> On the word hockey bats. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we, we can get more to that later. But I'll just say that uh, I liked Christian Bale's Batman in this movie. Um, we'll talk more about his physicality um, when we talk about like highlights in the movie because him and Bane throwing throwing hands is something I have quite a bit to say about um, both you negative wires, and positive. Or... No, it's just um, like I said, we'll get to it. We should run down mm. the characters though. But um, like I said, I I liked that um, he brought a sense of weariness to it, and I like that uh, Alfred, uh, my, Michael Caine. Uh, who I guess we can talk about next. Um, I like that uh, he's challenging him on the fact that it's like, I, I see you wanting to return to Batmaning, but I see it as like a, I don't know, like an attempt at suicide almost. Where it's like, it's a, 
it's not a, a task that you can accomplish, but this is your way out because you've essentially spent the past eight years just kind of waiting to die because you gave up on life. I don't know how he. I don't know how he got to that. I don't know how he got to that conclusion. I'm like, what in his demeanor has suggested that? It seems like he's not trying to fail. It looks like he's legit trying to get back, get back out on that horse. It's it's very strange. Um, that's one aspect of the script that is very confused because we're getting a lot of conflicting messages um, from people who we're not used to getting them from. Um, because Alfred and Lucius Fox, um, both of these characters in this entire trilogy. They're framed as being like on the side of the angels all the time. Like mm-hmm. they're they're usually correct, and they're usually serving as mentors to Bruce Wayne. Um, but we're getting conflicting messages from them, where Alfred is coming across as like overly protective, like he's trying to shield him from like further injury and doom, whereas Lucius Fox is talking about like supplying him with tools he needs to go back to Batman, and without yeah. really thinking about like what it might mean for his life. I think Alfred's projecting a little bit. I think he's getting... He's like, I think you want to fail. I'm like, no, I just think you think he's going to fail. And you're trying to put that in his head now, you asshole. Yeah, I I think you're right. Um, It's just a strange turn to take where it's like he goes from being utterly supportive and there for him all the time to now he's like overly protective, um, almost irrationally so. How do you tell somebody who's super competitive and driven that... like? don't do that you'll probably fail and you're like well fuck no i gotta do it because i gotta show you i'm not gonna fail or you make them think that they're doing it for the wrong reason so maybe it was a good move on alfred's part now that i think about it like yeah i think you want to fail and it's like well fuck maybe maybe i do want to fail maybe i really am not capable of this and i really do think i'm not capable of this yeah. hmm, that's a good way to get in somebody's head <laughs> well it, it needs to be said um i don't think you've seen it but um, when I first saw this movie, like when I first saw it in the theater, I was joking about how I was drawing parallels between it and Rocky Three, um, because they bear some similarities to each other. In that, um, spoiler alert: Rocky is defeated by Mr. T, um, Clover Lang, uh, early in the film, and before he goes into that fight, Mickey uh, Burgess Meredith, his Burgess, trainer, yeah. is he's like crying, like they're like sitting together on Mickey's bed, like, and he's just like pleading with him, like rock like i know i know that you think that you're this great champion i know the guy like gut checked you and like insulted your woman but he's better than you <laughs> um and he he tells he confesses to him that he was a carried champion that all the people he defended his title against were arranged opponents were pe- people that he knew he could be defeat and so by the time he gets to mr t it's a live dog that is hungry and you know climbed up from the pit um, you- like bane did do you think that anybody um do you think that anybody anybody's trainers has talked to their their fighter about fighting Khabib like like uh Mark Wahlberg's uh brother and mother said like oh no no he's just been on the couch it's not a big deal you're going to you're going to go up a weight class and fight and he has to fight the dude that's like 15 pounds heavier and jacked out of his mind like Khabib no no he's just been sitting on the couch and then the person dies <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle is uh, referring to Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, who is a UFC fighter, um, who is currently undefeated, and has, he bludgeons you to death, essentially. Yes. <laughs> um, he sits on you, and you, you can't move. He has magic powers. He has mutant powers, in fact. Yeah. Um, much like the Blob from the X-Men. He, he has the power of creating a one-directional gravitational force beneath him that you cannot escape from. 
nothing I, moves the blob. It, <laughs> it made me think of it because I th- I don't know who was talking about it. Somebody was like, uh, they were commentating or they were next to the uh, the octagon whenever the fight one of those fights were happening. And I guess Khabib to get into people's heads, he's like, I need you to quit. I need you to stop. I need you to to give up. I'm like, that's fucking. That is brutal. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's slugging you while he's doing it too. Yeah, stop! He's I pick- need you to give up. Yeah, he's, he's picking his shots, too. He's thinking about it. <laughs> I actually remember Joe Rogan talking about there was a Russian fighter who used to be uh, Russian Special Forces, and he was watching this fight, and I watched the clip, and he was fighting a guy who was like a foot taller, like two or three feet taller than him, just just huge guy. And uh, he remembers that he got the dude down, and he wasn't knocking him out. And it wasn't it wasn't the UFC. It was one of the uh, off-brand uh, fighting uh, fighting things. And he was just hitting this dude in the same spot in the eye, like right above the eye. He was just torturing him. Like literally legit torturing him. I'm like, that's fucking nuts. Sorry, I got off topic here, but yeah, we were, we were fight, getting into fighting, fighting here. Fighting, fighting attracts um, very interesting breeds of human. <laughs> For sure. Uh, people that would rather do that than work a 9 to 5 are not people you want to futz with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely um, right. But anything, back you, on track. anything else you wanted to say about Michael Kine? No, I'm more interested to talk about the new characters. Okay, well, um, yeah, let, let's get to it then. I, you lead the charge. Okay, I'll start with um, the probably the one we'll spend the most time on uh, as far as the new characters are concerned, uh, the Tom Hardy Bane. Uh, I'll ask you because, I mean, I thought it was a fine enough performance even though you can't see his mouth move. Uh, what did you think of the Bane? I thought it was amazing. Tom Hardy's Bane. Um, oh yeah, no. The, um, people, when when the Dark Knight came out, um, young people would not shut the fuck up about the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, young people were all about the Joker. Um, I you never really saying. was. I thought it was a. Tr- I thought it was a terrific performance. Um, I thought it was a very good movie at the time. It's, I've softened a little bit now, but I think it's still an enjoyable movie. I still rewatch it pretty frequently, but. Um, when it comes to characters and performances in Batman movies that I personally that like resonate with me, that really really strike me, um, his is the one that gets me the most. Um, I think I've gotten the most enjoyment from Tom Hardy's Bane. Uh, I, I have a lot of fun examining every little quirk he put into it. Um, I think it's a very measured, it's a very calculated performance. Um, I don't like when he when he tells speeches uh, that's no. when the movie comes crashing the fuck down um but everything outside of that his his first half of the movie footage is terrific it's like he's magnetic it's like it's and it, part of what makes it so incredible is that it's a very 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 physical performance um and that like you said all of his lines and he doesn't even have that many you can't even see most of his face it's all his eyes and just his voice and his th- body language I think that Nolan does an excellent job, or whoever wrote the characters. The, all the all the villains in these films are all written very well. Um, I like the, I like the idea of the Joker character a bit more. One that's just like I don't give like Bane has a has a plan. He's got a motive behind what he's doing. I like the Joker just being like I don't give a fuck. Like I just kind of lost it. And I, I like that in I like that in a villain. Um, it's harder to, to stop them because you're like, I don't really know if stopping them is going to do anything. Whereas Bane, it's like, no, 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 it's this plan. And there's just one clear goal for Batman is to stop this plan, which he doesn't. Uh, well, he almost doesn't. Uh, but yeah, his actual Bane performance is really cool. 
Um, I like his. How do you how do you put this in words? Um, I guess his badassness, like his uh, his confidence. He his confidence is like unmatched. Like I don't know if there's any characters like search him, then I'll kill you. Like it's like fuck, dude. That's pretty pretty brutal to say to somebody. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's it's confidence and it's a it's like measured intensity. Mm-hmm. I, I love watching that in his performance where he's he's very calm all the time but then he has explosive moments where it's like when it's called for he, he can just accelerate into the red line instantly mm-hmm. but in between that it's like I have nothing to fear <laughs> it's, like, it's like like when he's faced with Ben Mendelsohn like he doesn't even like his heart rate probably didn't even go up at all He's got, like, the swa- he's got like the swagger of Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 70s. Like, you've seen his interviews for, like, Pumping Iron. He's just, like, super confident, nothing really bothering him. Like, it's kind of whatever, you know? And then you see him in the gym, you're like, holy shit, this man's a monster. Yeah, no, it, it's really interesting to see that because, like, it even translates into the, the action choreography where you can see him, like, picking his shots where it's, like, he's kind of... It's not, like, a rope-a-dope thing. It's just kind of, like, you know... I can eat that. I can eat that. I can eat that. Oh, there's an opening. <laughs> like, and so he, he's very measured and very confident in how he approaches things. And it translates downward um, to like all his underlings and whatnot, where everyone's in fear of him because they know that like by the time you realize he's turned on you, you're dead. <laughs> it, it is kind of nice to see, back to Christian Bale's Batman, um, or just the Batman character in this film, it's nice to see him struggle, because he hasn't struggled against an opponent since the League of Shadows, like him actually training. So that fight with Bane where he's like, scree- like actually getting angry because he's, he's not gaining any ground whatsoever. Yeah, uh, that, that scene was the scene that I needed this movie to have, and uh, they, they executed it uh, the way they did. It's not perfect. Um, but in the moment in the theater with the good sound system and whatnot, it was pretty fucking cool. That um, moment, and, yeah, when the gate drops, you're like, oh, shit, yeah. And there's no music. It's a it's a really, really well-executed sequence. Um, you There's plenty to complain about in terms of, like, choreography and, like, the sharpness of their movements and whatnot. But remember, these are both actors wearing heavy costumes. Um, I didn't really see much evidence of doubling, Um and so, you know, the the choreography certainly had to be dumbed down. It couldn't be as spectacular as, you know, you would get from, like, a really hardcore stunt team or something. And it was shot on fucking IMAX cameras. Mm-hmm. Jesus fuck. That's not, that's not how you shoot a fist fight. But, you know, if you want it to look a certain way, that's what you gotta do, I guess. But, um, yeah, uh, Bane in the comics, it needs to be said, um, is very, very, very different um, from this interpretation of the character. However, uh, Tom Hardy's performance was so so incredible that uh, it trickled down to the comics and other other presentations of the character where you see a lot of a lot of his quirks a lot of his character interpretation uh, brought into the comics um, beyond 2012 um, but yeah traditionally in the comics he he's not wearing an analgesic mask um, uh, in this movie the idea is the mask is feeding him some sort of gas that uh, he's in constant pain and you can see that he has a scar running down his spine. Um, you can see it in a few scenes in The Dark Knight Rises. So, um, And it's alluded to in the script that he suffered some grievous injury and putting the mask on was the only way to attend to it. So the, the idea is he's this big hulking brute, but he's under he feels some degree of pain all the time. 
um, which speaks to the strength of his will and his character. Um, so when we get to the closing act of the movie and that his his mask is damaged, um, that's when he his that's when he becomes much more vulnerable. Is that all the pain that the mask is fighting off comes back. Um, so not only is he getting punched in the face, he's also got his old body fighting against him. In the comics, though, the mask is, it's just a mask, but it also has a series of tubes feeding into it that uh, pump something called the venom derivative into his system. It's a steroid. It gives you, like, super-duper strength. Yeah. Um, and that was essentially how he, you know, defeated Batman the first time. Was um, Actually, that's a really interesting thing, um, is in his first throwdown with Batman in the comics, like his first proper fight with Batman, um, where he broke his back, um, the lead up to it uh, was what what made the victory so decisive was that he spent like a whole year essentially he blew up like I think it was Arkham or Blackgate I forget which it was it was either the prison or the asylum but he blew it up and all the criminals in Gotham escaped so Batman had to like work around the clock for weeks on end or whatever um, so by the time Batman got face to face with him he he was already defeated. Like his his body was already broken down. I have a theory now. Now that you mention that, it would have made more sense if Bane came onto the picture early, injured Batman, and he had been out of commission for say a year or two, and trying to re- like trying to recover. And then during that time, you have Bane and the Joker running around. You have somebody else, maybe Robin, trying to stop them. And then once Batman recuperates, he comes back to take down. Batman and Joker. Fortunately, Heath Ledger's Joker died, so they weren't able to do that. But I think that would have been a more, a little bit better idea than double in, double injury in this movie. Well, we're we're bouncing around a lot, so I again, I don't know if this is the right way to introduce this. But um, I have a lot of, I had part of my enjoyment of this movie is uh, speculating on how you could have done it better or differently. <laughs> Monday morning and, quarterback and that shit. Yeah. It, for me, it, for some reason, I keep coming back to this movie because the first half. Like, the first hour and ten minutes is really, really good. Yes. Excellent. It's really good. It's And it moves. Like, it's briskly paced. And you never feel lost. And a lot of cool shit happens. Mm-hmm. Like, we get the debut of Batman. We get the Wall Street sequence. We get Bane throwing lots of punches. We get his back getting broken. It's like, whoa. And also Catwoman's in the mix. And she doesn't feel like an extra... She doesn't feel like an extraneous element for the most part. Because she's pretty tightly woven into the script. Dirt bikes are awesome, by the way. I realized that that I love dirt bikes, like for action sequences. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like the fucking uh, the motorcycle and dirt bike sequence from Terminator Two. There you go, Matt. Uh, the um, <laughs> the ter- the dirt bikes in uh, uh, Fury Road. That dirt bike sequence is awesome. But I love the Karate dirt bike kid. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Um, the dirt bike sequence in this, I think, is really cool. It's not as good as the we talked. Uh, in, at length about the the chase last week in uh, the Dark Knight. This is not as good, or this one is not as good, but it's still fun. But it also has the one of the dumbest lines in the movie. It really does. You want to share what that is, Kyle? Oh yeah, that fucking stupid fat cop. This fat cop is like they're going down the they're going down the tunnel. And it's like vroom, vroom. this cop's following him, and then all of a sudden the lights kind of go out, and they're like, "What the hell's happening?" And the cop's like, "Oh." You're in for a treat tonight, because fucking Batman's coming up the rear in his motorcycle, or whatever that... You called it something different. What is it? It's the Bat Pod. The Bat Pod. Motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
it's the dumbest line. I think it's the dumbest line in the whole trilogy, the whole Nolan trilogy. It, I mean, he's flying on rooftops, and uh, it's a black tank, and lock and load, and uh, I didn't sign up for this. Anytime people are in vehicles in the Nolan movies, it's dumb bad. things get said. <laughs> dumb shit comes out of people's mouths. But the dude, like, riding on the back of the dirt bike, like, freaking out. I'm like, that's a nice touch. That's a... That looked like that's a, a scary stunt. That that's looked a, like a scary stunt. That looked... I mean, that that's one thing that Christopher Nolan does really well. Is uh, he bring... He brought stunts back, kind of. Where it's like... I think he understands that in order to add drama to action, you need to give the audience a sense of danger. Like, mm-hmm. if it's all just CGI, you know, whiz-bang-pow stuff, People can see through that, and it's like, you know, nobody's actually going to get hurt. But when you see a man clutching the back of a dirt bike, a small dirt bike, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you are a little bit worried that he's going to fall off. <laughs> but um, back to what I was saying, though, about, like, Monday morning quarterback or whatever. Um, I, one thing that is uh, brought up a few times in this franchise and in this movie in particular um, most notably early in Batman Begins when we when we're in the plane talking to Alfred about becoming Batman like I, I need to become a symbol something something greater than a man uh, this was a concept imparted to Bruce Wayne by Rachel Ghoul um, early in the film um, he's like he's trying to tell him that like being a man fighting crime is one thing but being a symbol being some being a myth or a legend is far more potent than, than the efforts of a single man's fists or whatever. Um, and this is a concept that's like, I think is really cool. Um, and they do address it directly in The Dark Knight Rises, where I think it's when uh, uh, Robin, or Blake, is what they call him throughout the movie, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is driving Bruce Wayne around, and uh, they're having a conversation about Batmaning, like, like, how do you go about things? And he's like very slowly teaching him the tricks of the trade he's like why do you wear a mask and whatnot he's like well uh, to protect the people i love and also to be a symbol to be to be something that can't be associated with a single singular person it's like it's the batman it could be anyone in fact i think he says that verbatim like it could be anyone so the whole time i'm watching this movie and this was before he got his back broke by bane uh, the whole time i'm watching the movie i'm like oh we're gonna have someone else become batman mm-hmm. obviously yeah. And then we that never happens. <laughs> so what you're saying, like, wouldn't it have been interesting if Batman gets put out of commission and then just like we saw in the Dark Knight, we have imitators, we have copycats showing up. Mm-hmm. People wearing Batman costumes to keep the legend alive while he's recovering. Um, I think it would have been really cool if you did that and if you did it well enough, you wouldn't even have to have him come back and put the cape and cowl back on. You're he right. could just show up at the riot at the end as Bruce Wayne and still get oh. shit done. And he'd still be injured, too. That would have been so fucking cool if he had done that. That's so much better. But in terms of pleasing mainstream audiences and whatnot, it, in wrestling terms, they needed they needed Batman to be booked strong. Like like Vince McMahon would say about a, a big guy, it's like, we need to book him strong. It's like, why? It's like, because he's a big guy. It's like Batman. You know, the audience expects him to show up and do the Rocky Three thing, which, spoiler alert, Rocky beats Mr. T at the end. <laughs> um, which, you know, your average moviegoer would expect that. You know, they would expect Batman to leave halfway through the movie, show up at the end, and win the big fight at the end. But I think if you had done it 
cleverly. Like if you really worked out the kinks in the script, you could have a situation where a bunch of Batman copycats, kind of like V for Vendetta almost, like a bunch of anonymous Batmen or Bat people show up um, to, to fight for Gotham. Um, and then Bane's just like, the fuck? <laughs> you mean I gotta break all these people? Okay. <laughs> it's like, I got time. <laughs> and then maybe you could do a thing where if you really did need Batman slash Bruce Wayne to win the big fight at the end, maybe just have him do it in street clothes. Yeah. Like, I think that would be really cool. In fact, I've, I've said this several times on this podcast, but my, my dream alternate ending for this movie would have been uh, Blake shows up in a... In a a, uh, a handmade just bat costume uh, during the climax of the film so we still have the big fight at the end with all mm-hmm. the crowds and stuff and then Blake shows up leads the charge and he's like I'm Batman and all the cops and stuff are like I guess he's Batman like he doesn't look like Batman but I, we need we need somebody to rally behind so they all charge to their doom or whatever and then Bane finds him in the crowd and we know we know like Bane's Bane knows just looking him up and down it's like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like you're gonna beat me, <laughs> like really? <laughs> like Achilles' nephew and Troy acting exactly. Like he's, yeah. It would be exactly that. I would want, honestly, I would want Bane to break his neck, like on him, like as soon as he walked up to him, just go, just like like pass through him. That would have been how I would that. I would want that to be how he goes. I mean, that would be cool. But personally, what I would like to see is he finds him in the crowd. The two find each other, and they both know that he's not Batman. But he's he's courageous, so he steps to Bane, and Bane's like, "Well, you know, part of my agenda has been breaking the spirit of the public. So if I have to tear off Batman's head in front of these cops and stuff, that'll do it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he's so he you know targets him. And then we get a scene where he just beats the piss out of Blake, and is about to kill him or whatever, or snap his snap his spine or whatever. And then we get like a, he's gonna like punch his face in on the ground or whatever. And then a hand grabs his fist from behind, and then it's Bruce Wayne slash yeah. Batman. And he that doesn't need to be in the bat costume, but he, still he need... just he just stops it from happening. And he's like, "You came back." <laughs> I still need Joseph Gordon-Levitt to get it though. <laughs> that'd be that'd be hilarious. Like the fighting's done, and this a random gunshot clips him. <laughs> it's like, oh no, how did that happen? It's like, well, this guy Kyle, he. Uh, he snuck in an executive producer credit, and uh, <laughs> his money's good. <laughs> yeah, I would do that. <laughs> um, do you want to move to Catwoman? Sure, the Catwoman's. Um, I like Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. but this is a controversial opinion. I don't like her in serious roles. I think she's better being like funny, uh, being really? goofy. Yeah, I think she's she's more fun goofy. Okay, um, I. You know, honestly, I don't know if I've seen her be funny. Uh, I've seen her in a, only a handful of movies. I think The Devil Wears Prada. She was pretty good in. I like. I actually really like that movie. That was like, that was a good time. Um, I forget. It's something. Somebody getting married, uh, where her sister gets married. Uh, yeah. I saw that. That was a like a dreary indie movie. That's it's quite good actually. Um, she was she was pretty solid in that, but um, she was good in a uh, colossal. That's just a pretty good movie in general, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I don't think I've seen her in like a, a like fat fat person fall down funny kind of movie. <laughs> she has. I'm, I'm saying like not serious. I don't like her serious roles, and okay. she has a certain kind. It, she, her character here kind of reminds me of her character in Love and Other Drugs, which isn't bad either. I actually enjoyed that movie as well. She has like a like a weird 
confidence about her. Like, she tries to act like kind of a badass. Like, yeah, I'm actually way more badass than you think I am, and I'm actually in charge right now. She does it in this movie. Uh, that scene's a little, it's kind of fun, because she, you know, turns the tables, like, on everybody in the in that little bar. Uh, but the, like, in Love and Other Drugs, it's like, I bet you want me to, like, I bet you want me to just, like, date you or something like that. Like, oh, you think I'm going to fall for something like that. Playing, like, the strong female character that's like, I've heard it all. Like, you're not going to get me just by, you know, just kind of running at me. You have to work for this. I don't know. It just She bothers me when she's doing that character. Uh, I thought she was a inappropriate but still kind of odd choice uh, for Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Um, she just doesn't gel as well with the rest of the cast. Um, her character in general, like like I said, she's woven pretty tightly into the script, um, all of which comes crashing down in the second half. Uh, in the first half, she's welcome, but in the second half, it's like, why are you so involved? Yeah. Like, like, why, like, why are you a part of this plan? Like, honestly, but... I mean, there are some weird questions, like her really, her really intricately designed cat suit is like, how, like, how'd you get that? Why do you need that? <laughs> like, why does it have razor blades and heels? Why does it have fucking high heels? I'm not saying that, like, you have to have, like, Michelle Pfeiffer's suit, and you don't have to have, like, the Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer's got, like, really striking eyes, which is an interesting idea for a cat woman. I mean... Anne Hathaway is kind of just like Judy Greer, in my opinion. It's just like she's just kind of a, I don't know, just American looking, just American looking lady. I'm like, I feel like you need to go with uh, somebody who's a little more, I don't, know, I don't know, catching. Like somebody who who you notice a little bit more. I don't know. I don't, I'm not I, trying to be mean. <laughs> no, I, I get it. But Kyle, if uh, if Michelle Pfeiffer and Anne Hathaway were contemporaries, who do you think Tim Burton would have gone? Uh, I know you're going to say Anne Hathaway because of the big eyes, but I'm going to disagree and say Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, he's worked with Anne Hathaway, like, on the Alice in Wonderland movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why I say it. If they were contemporaries. Um, yeah. If they were contem- I, I could just totally picture him at, like, a dinner party. Hey, Anne, you want to be in you, Batman? You want to come over and watch... Woman. You want to come over and, and watch Vincent Price movies with me? <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, Tim. <laughs> no, I, I... And then he'd just pause for a second and be like, Hey, Michelle, you want to come over? <laughs> I mean, she's just not as striking. Like, she just looks like somebody you'd... Like, hey, do you want to go get coffee or something? Like, she's approachable. Like she, She's more conventionally attractive. Yes. Um, and... It Thank works. You. <laughs> it it works for the way that they're portraying this character, where she's kind of hiding in plain sight, and she sneaks into these high society events, um, like under the guise of being one of them. So it works in that sense, in that she that's part of her shtick is that she pretends to be you know like a a big wig, um, when in actuality she lives in a shit apartment with her gal pal. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it, it's. Kind of similar to the problem I had with like Katie Holmes in Batman Begins, mm-hmm. where she la- she lacks texture. <laughs> like like everyone else, just looks more world weary and just has a different different quality to their face and stuff. Um, she gives a fine performance. Yeah. It's just it's just I don't know her her line delivery is a little hammy um, in a movie that's in a series that's generally not very hammy. Um, and then, like I said, when, when we start using her character throughout the entire movie, like when we get to the second half, I start having a lot of questions about like, like what, like why, 
I mean, the big question, the thing that, like, we've kind of been avoiding talking about the second half of the movie, but the big thing is, like, how, how did he end up falling in love with her? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. No, it comes out of nowhere. She's <laughs> stolen from you twice, and I still don't trust her. Even at the end, I'm like, she's going to just bail, dude. Yeah, no, she, she their relationship is so ill-defined, and it, it, it doesn't make a lick of sense. And by the time we get to the end, it's like, Yes, we get a shot of two really handsome people, but do they have any chemistry whatsoever? No. <laughs> like, no, have, they do not. She does have some good moments. I do like her, like, when she realizes she just, like, betrayed him. She's like, oh, shit. Like, I maybe I shouldn't have done that. I do like her, like, she shoots all the dudes in the bar, and then the cops come in, and then she just starts screaming, which is a really, like, it's just nice. Yeah, that's one thing that a lot of people point to with her performance as, uh, as being, like, a complimentary point is that uh she she does a lot of flipping where mm -hmm. when we're first introduced to her she's like this mousy like maid or whatever or posing as such and then when mm -hmm. she's found out she does a a physical change where her posture straightens up she gets like a a sway to her hips and she kicks his cane out from under him and that does a backflip out the window and then yeah like you said uh that sequence in the bar which is a very cool sequence by the mm -hmm. way um where natalie she portman there we go a recast natalie portman is catwoman Natalie Portman doesn't generally do movies like this. You gotta like really, really ask hard. Like she did Your Highness. She she was in a thong in Your Highness. Dude, she'll do some stupid shit. I mean, she just wanted to smoke a lot of pot with that cast, I'm sure. Like Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that was that set was a lot of fun. <laughs> How? I told my buddy we were I was watch I watched it and then we were like watching it somebody else was watching it again. And I'm like, stick around. Uh, you can see, uh, you can see Natalie Portman in a thong. He's like, bullshit. She's not gonna do it. I'm like, oh, he has no idea. <laughs> Came around, and he's like, you gotta be kidding me. This is the movie she does it for. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, didn't didn't she do some rom com with like Ashton Kutcher or somebody like that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's not. She'll do. She'll do stupid shit. She's not. I mean, she yeah, she's, she's gonna be that. Lady Thor uh, in like a year or two here. So like. She thought she was out of the Thor franchise, but they 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 dumped an entire building's worth of money on her doorstep. <laughs> what now? She's in Thor. She was in the first Thor, um, oh. and then she was in the second Thor, and then the and the third Thor and the Avengers movies. Uh, they mention her character's name and occasionally show photos of her, but they couldn't be bothered to get her on the set. <laughs> and then, uh, in the in further iterations of Thor, she's signed on to be Lady Thor. Why can Thor not be asexual? Why can he? I actually have only seen him not have a lady, and I actually really like that about his. I think it's what like what's great about his character. I'm like he doesn't really have like that that romantic entanglement. Now they're going to be bringing him back. God damn it! Well, they might not. They're probably not going to be an item. Because, okay, good. I mean, what we've seen of him more recently, it seems like he's just not in a good place for that. No. <laughs> he needs gotta, to do yeah. some growing before he can come back to that. He's got to lose some beer weight, yeah. Yeah, so she'll probably strike out on her own without without Man Thor. So she'll be Lady Thor, he'll be Man Thor. But um, <laughs> anyway, Catwoman, um, yeah, I, I didn't really get the way that they hook up at the end. It just doesn't, it didn't add up. I didn't like that she was so tightly woven into the, the plot to save Gotham at the end because he was trusting the fuck out of her <laughs> um, to, to do a really integral part of things. And not only that, like fighting fighting the convoy at the very end, um, that wouldn't have gotten done without her. Uh, so I don't know, like 
I guess part of part of the story thread for Bruce Wayne slash Batman is like uh, leaning on his support system um, more so than we've seen in other iterations of the character on film. But I don't know if leaning on Catwoman that hard is wise. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just felt like a, a shoehorning of like a character turn. Um, so I guess we could talk about uh, Robin, quote unquote. Yes, uh, John Blake slash Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, so this was a character that is partially dreamt up uh, specifically for this movie. Um, and he kind of sucks. He's the worst <laughs> part of the movie. I actually was fast-forwarding through his scenes. Yeah, he's he's kind of terrible. <laughs> I don't like him as an actor. Like, I don't enjoy his performances. He's He has moments where he can be kind of funny, but for the most part, he just he bugs me. I, I can't... I can't think of a role of his that I enjoy. 50 50. I'll give him 50 50. That was an okay movie. 500 Days of Summer, I've heard, is good. Yeah, I think that's one of those the Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies. It's kind of tainted now. It's like one of the poster children for, like, oh, this is how you don't write a good female act or female character. And then uh, Don John was not bad. I think he directed that as well. He did, and he cast... He, yeah, he was like, I want Scarlett Johansson to, to be my love interest in the movie. Nice, dude. <laughs> well, that's that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. With your passion project. Yeah. <laughs> project, project hang out with ScarJo. It's like, I, okay, we need to secure financing on this movie. I gotta bulk up so I look good on the camera, and then we gotta get ScarJo. <laughs> yeah. Only reason why I considered watching it was because his dad was Tony Danza. And he was actually very good in it. Um, I I actually thought it was an okay movie. I had like a little bit of like a I don't know. It had an interesting subver- subversive spin on things where it's like you know, just because you've lent into like leaned into a certain lifestyle for X number of years doesn't mean that that's what you actually like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like some sometimes you need to free yourself up to change a little bit, which is a nice message because that's hard to do in real life. But anyway, yeah, uh, John Blake sucks as a character. Um, ah, my God, in the theater, even the first time I saw the movie, and I did really enjoy this movie the first time I saw it in the theater, um, when he shows up at Wayne Manor, and he just says, I know who you are, when he just says, oh, I figured out who Batman is, because I'm an orphan, and you're an orphan, and we orphans, we have psychic powers where we can figure shit out. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, he's the worst. Uh, I was gonna say that Loudon Swain... Uh, I can't think of his name. Full Metal Jacket. What's the guy's name? Loudon Swain? I, that's his character in Vision Quest. What's the the actor's name? Oh, Matthew Modine. Matthew Matt Modine, Modine, thank you. Loudon yeah, Swain. Joker. Yeah. Jo- uh, yeah, Joker. Yeah, <laughs> that's confusing. That's confusing. D- d- different Joker. but <laughs> Different Joker. <laughs> the first uh, Joker. I, I, I always know him as Loudon Swain. Um, yeah, I, he's kind of irritating in the movie, but yeah, I can't stand uh, the character. Yeah, he... So yeah, I'm gonna go talk to this kid that I used to mentor or whatever. I'm like, dude, this is just fucking. This is stupid. Um, his, I think the dumbest part of the movie is when he's questioning the two dudes about like, well, yeah, what are you guys doing over here about this stuff? He he doesn't have intensity. He tries to have moments of intensity, and I'm like, I'm not buying it, dude. You you just seem like a a pussy. Sorry. I uh, you're not wrong, um, and it's noticeable, unfortunately, because he is supposed to be a cop. And he's doing a weird thing where he's putting on some some sort of pseudo East Coast accent, and no one else really is. Mm. Like like even 
the the Bruce Wayne and and uh, Commissioner Gordon ones that I mentioned earlier. It's not to the extent that he is. He's putting on a fucking show. Like he's trying to add swagger and like strength to a frame that does not support it. And a good day to use <laughs> <laughs> the two youths. <laughs> Could you repeat that? The two youths. The two youths. 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 Um, no, he he's trying to act like a tough guy, but. Uh, it's actually really funny. I don't know if it's me watching too many movies with martial arts and fight scenes and stuff, or just watching too much fighting in general, but his body language does not support it. <laughs> he doesn't move well. Like He doesn't move like a strong person. Even the way he runs with that shotgun, it's like, you're doing some flippy-floppy arm shit there, bud. <laughs> Keep <He's>, it tight. <laughs> he, he has... He starts a fight in... Oh my... I don't know why I've seen it. Uh, Stop Loss. It's one of the dumbest movies ever. Um, he is a he starts a fight a bar fight and stop loss and like that was the weakest shit I've ever seen, dude. Like, he just his stature like he just he's just not he's like the same size as me. Like I don't carry a badassness about me. Like it, <laughs> like it's just I'm not maybe it's because like he's about my size. I'm like yeah, I'm not buying it, dude. Like we we don't do that. Yeah, no. He. Long story short, if you watch the way he moves, it it's not the it's not the way a person that you know projects strength and toughness moves like you there's a there's a way that people move and in fact that the uh soldiers that infiltrate gotham after mm-hmm. uh, the reckoning or whatever reckoning. those guys those guys are the worst <laughs> undercover operatives i've seen because yeah. just their posture and their boots it's like yeah they're military i can tell from many blocks away <laughs> Um, you mean that big tall drink of dick? The, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. His yeah. speech, his speech pattern, and his posture communicate yeah. a lot. He he reminds me of the Rock. The way the Rock will sometimes. Well, he's talk. doing like an Obama slash Rock. Yes, exactly. He does. <laughs> <laughs> he's very much doing a Dwayne, the Obama Johnson. Um, like, well, uh, we're gonna get these folks out of Gotham. <laughs> these folks out of Gotham. Yeah, his cadence is just like Obama's. Um, I do want to mention though, in that same film, Stop Loss. Uh, he de- uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does have a very funny drunk driving bit. It, they're hard to pull off, but it is actually pretty good. Yeah, uh, Kyle is a uh, connoisseur of drunk acting. He does a pretty good, pretty good job of drunk acting on there. Uh, it's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I think his his scenes are pointless. Uh, he doesn't really add much. To, the, the explosions still go off in that scene, so I'm like, what? He didn't even accomplish anything. Yeah, the sequencing of that is interesting because what we're trying to do with the editing is we're, we're paralleling his investigation with the actual explosion. So by the time he figures out what's going on, he's too it's too late for him to do anything about it. Um, and then he has to spring into action saving Commissioner Gordon. And uh, we get some character moments in the form of him uh, uh, at that construction yard. He shoots them mm-hmm. um, in self-defense because they jump him first. Um, and then we get a moment where he like looks at his gun and like his handshake and throws his gun away, um, which is meant to communicate to the audience that's like, oh, he doesn't like that. Like he doesn't like killing people. He didn't. It didn't sit well with him. And then the very next scene, he grabs a bigger gun <laughs> to, to go save Commissioner Gordon. I'm so it's quote, a little confused. I'm gonna quote Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed. They signed up to use their guns. Yeah, uh, but what we're trying to do with this character, and I feel like, like I said, I think it. I, I respect what they're trying to do here because they're, they're not really trying to insert a Robin into the story. They're trying to re- insert a replacement Batman, like somebody to take up the mantle so Bruce Wayne can retire and feel secure in knowing that the, the, the legacy of Batman will continue. So it's like an apprentice. 
Um, so we're trying to throw all of that onto this Blake character, but I feel like it would have been better if if we made it like all of Gotham. Like if we did a Spider-Man thing where you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. But in this case, we have this guy who just somehow deduces on his own um, that Bruce Wayne is Batman um, and becomes a cop and is really obsessed with the Harvey Dent murder and is constantly bugging Commissioner Gordon about who Batman is. Um, and by the end, we get the reveal of his real name being Robin, which is really silly. Yeah. Um, but, it's, you know, just for fan service or whatnot. And then, sure enough, the, the final shot in the movie is him discovering the Batcave because Bruce Wayne tells him where it is. Oh, wow, that sucks. Uh, he's Robin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what that lady should have said. Yeah. <laughs> she says, like, I like your real name. You should use that. <laughs> it's like... Your name sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a, such a huge thud. Like I think I remember in the theater, it was like, oh yeah, he's uh, he's Robin. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, it it it's a total. Huh? <laughs> it do, it doesn't contribute anything. It's just a weird little fan service tidbit that they just threw in there at the last second. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, and yeah, the character's mostly frustrating because, uh, like I said, um, it would have been kind of cool if he was involved in the big climax in the movie. What his contrib what his contribution is is taking a bus to a bridge and then hanging out on the bridge yeah that's what he does at the end of this movie he does nothing nothing um yeah he's a protector of the people i guess but um yeah uh, his character gets pushed way to the periphery of the storytelling um such that like it's almost frustrating that it's like maybe if he had more to do like if we had less catwoman and more of him maybe he would have made more sense mm. um but yeah he takes up a lot of time and does very little is it, do you want to do you want to move on to Talia? Sure. Uh, so this would be Marion Cotillard. Mm -hmm. um, big fan. Right. Big fan. Marion Cotillard. Uh, Christopher Nolan is too, I guess, because she was also in Inception. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if they worked together outside of these two movies, but um, yeah, uh, Marion Cotillard plays Miranda Tate slash Talia Al Ghul, and this was the worst kept secret in Hollywood um, when the hype train got rolling for this movie. I had no idea who she was, so this was actually like this actually threw me off more than uh, it threw me off so much that it derailed the rest of the movie a little bit for me. I'm like, wait, what now? Like, I'm like, what the fuck's happening? She's the, she's the son, she's the daughter of Ra Ra's al Ghul. I'm like, huh? Like, I, it just made, it didn't make no sense to me. Well, uh, it's it's fed to us piecemeal, um, and in a very uh, no one known way where uh, we've said before one of his quirks is a uh, the man is obsessed with time mm -hmm. uh, so it's very common for some elements of his stories to be told slightly out of sequence or we we jump around a lot um, earlier in the movie we had uh, like at the very beginning actually um, I think we we actually open with a oh that's that's a director quirk that's worth noting um, the opening shot of all three movies is a it's a bat symbol um, in a some sort He's of not coming. Shut it down. No, it's it's some sort of background where in the first film we have the bat symbol amid a brown sky with a swarm of bats, uh, and then the second film we have a a, a blue firestorm with a I think it's a metallic bat symbol flying at us, and then the third film it's a bat symbol forming out of cracking ice, um, and like I said, the color palette of these movies was very strong, uh, where the first film's brown, second one's blue, third one's white. Um, but yeah, I think the very first shot of the movie of this one, Dark Knight Rises, is a uh, Gary Oldman standing at a podium uh, talking about 
the death of Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think later on we get a uh, the same trick he employed in previous Batman movies, where we get him talking about Harvey Dent, and then we flash to an image of Two Face, like yelling at him, and no sound, just a like a couple frames of Aaron Eckhart yelling at him. It's like. Ah, so while he's praising Harvey Dent, he's also remembering that Harvey Dent like threatened to kill his son and whatnot. So mixed feelings, but um, yeah, the the way uh, Talia's story is imparted to us is we um, after Bruce Wayne's back is broken and we he gets taken to Bane's prison pit, um, which is a really cool set by the way. Yeah, I like the staircases, like the triangular staircases all over the place, and just the the shots looking up out of the pit are really beautiful, and it's really obvious that we're trying to mirror um, the aesthetic of him looking out of the well that he fell into in Batman Begins, which really clever, uh, yeah. very, very cool uh, intertwining of events where, you know, we get his dad coming down from, you know, repelling into the, into the well and saying, don't be afraid or whatever. <laughs> but um, her story is told to us from prisoners in the, in the pit. Like it's told to us, but we're not told that it's her story. Bruce thing, assumes Bane. that it's Bane's story. Yeah. Incorrectly. Um, but yeah, she's a uh, Rachel Ghoul's like illegitimate daughter. Um, they did link up at some point, but they broke off because of a dispute with Bane being um, too comfy with her, <laughs> too cozy with his daughter. <laughs> so he, uh, he kicked him out and I guess she followed suit. Um, but yeah, uh, her whole thread here is that she's posing in plain sight as like a, a a supporter of Bruce Wayne of his company. Um, and I guess she's there. Yeah. She's like independently wealthy and she's portrayed as being like a philanthropist. Like mm-hmm. she's always talking about saving the world, which Rachel Gould also talked about the same things, but his method of doing that involved um, setting fire to places. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, he's got a little bit of a Thanos. Like, yo, I'm just doing it for the great, like, you know, for the great pyramid of the earth, you know, the universe. But I got to kill a bunch of people to do that. <laughs> Yeah, um, actually, I thought it was, it's kind of neat, like, some of the things they do with, like, the cinematography and with uh, just her performance in general. It's it's layered. Um, it's very, very subtle to the point that you really can't notice it until you've seen the movie a couple times. But a lot of her scenes have, like, an amber or brownish tone to them, which mm. mirrors the color palette of Batman Begins. Um, and then her speech cadence, if you listen, it it sounds a little Liam like, <laughs> like she sounds a little like her pop, um, different accent. Cause she's French and he's, uh, Irish. Um, but the way she speaks like word choice and her cadence it has some similarities. So it's I there on that. It's neat. Like she knew what she was doing. Um, and she's a very good actress in any language. I forget what the name of the movie was, but it was a French film that it's about like a insurance claim or something <laughs> like it, it sounds really boring on paper but it was a really good french movie that i watched several years ago with her in it but hmm. very talented actress in any language but um yeah she's <laughs> I, I like um that uh both uh lucius fox and alfred both are trying to get get the two of them paired up they're trying to push mm-hmm. bruce into going after her because <laughs> I like that they're always like they just throw it out there and quite lovely too <laughs> but then you know of course she ends up being a super fucking villain <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is pretty funny but, I do um, I do like her moment where she explains to Bruce like her like the whole thing like oh you're fucking uh, you're his daughter or whatever 
it's, his face is so fucking funny. Like, she's got the knife in the side. He's just got like this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Such a funny facial expression. <laughs> just, around, girl. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's where the, uh, the bat mask in, in, like, daylight doesn't do him any favors. No. Right? It just makes his eyes look that more bugged out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that much more weird, but... Um, yeah, I think it's a fine performance. It's a little bit of a wimpy reveal because too much has happened in the movie already. Yeah. Um, and by this point, I was really disappointed because uh, Bane is out of the picture. Not dead, but out of the picture. And then she has this reveal. And then the trailers told us that there's a vehicle action sequence happening. So in terms of sequencing, I'm like, oh no, is that going to be the end of the movie? Because... I don't want that to be the end of the movie. Like in my head, I was writing an ending as we were going, and I didn't want—I didn't want a truck chase. A, a flying vehicle versus a truck is not particularly thrilling in my mind, Mm-mm. because the flying vehicle will win. Yes. <laughs> Momentum. <laughs> it flies for yeah. fuck's sake. <laughs> it's both faster and more maneuverable. It's not yeah. a contest, <laughs> and it's a truck. It's not even a tank. It's pretty silly. Uh, yeah. By the way, Commissioner Gordon would be dead in this movie. Uh, oh yeah, when that truck fell, he'd be hundred percent dead. All of his bones shattered. Dead, D E D, dead. He would be chunky salsa on the yeah. inside of that shipping container. <laughs> no, you ever stepped on a frog? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what, what it would look like. Look. That's what. It would look like. <laughs> not that I have stepped on a frog. I've just seen a, a frog get smushed, and it's pretty gross. I think um, my brothers rode his bike over a frog at least once. He said yeah. there was a problem in Hawaii where the toads would just come out into the street, and mm-hmm. they don't move. They're not like the. We have a deal with the birds and the squirrels. Yeah. Like we, we they see you coming, they move. Yeah. Toads, we don't have that deal. <laughs> like, they get run over quite frequently. Um, do you want to touch on Ben Mendelsohn real quick? <laughs> yes, Kyle, let's touch on Ben Mendelsohn. Is she sleeping with him or what? Is she sleeping with him? Where's Bane? Where's Bane? Yeah. Where's Bane? Uh, he's such a good dick. And he's, yeah, he is the he's best. He's such a good asshole. I'd like him to be a Bond villain, honestly. I think that he could be... Uh, I think he would be a little too sinister even for a Bond villain. Um, I liked him in Rogue One, and he's actually a good guy in uh, The Outsider, the HBO series, but he's still really good in that series. Oh, um, I know he's a very versatile actor. Um, I saw him, I watched the first couple seasons of that girls show. Oh, he's in that? He plays uh, the uh, British gal's dad, and he's a deadbeat, like, hippie dad. Oh, really? Yeah, he's, he's, like, kind of poor, and he's a loser, and he's estranged from her for the most part. And he does it very well. Hmm. Um, and then uh, he was the... It's maybe the only legitimately really good part of Captain Marvel. Um, that movie is so fucking flat. Like, it, it brings so little to the table. It's so vanilla. Like, it is the definition, maybe, of Marvel good. Where it's like, it's acceptable. But beyond that, it's not much more. But he's he's great. I mean, he's very funny. Um, he vacillates back and forth between like seeming genuinely slightly threatening and just being utterly hilarious. Mm. Um, and like you said, in, in Rogue One, he proved that he can be like a really good villain. Like yeah. like no like no laughs. He's just a good villain. Yes, he's a very good villain. 
Yeah. Uh, I thought you were going to say I'm, I'm just picturing him. James Bond walking in like, Welcome to my underground lair, Mr. Bond. Welcome, 007. <laughs> Welcome, 007, oh. to my volcano lair. He plays uh, with Gary Oldman. He's in Darkest Hour. He plays the king in that. And he the, the king had a, a, a speech impediment. And he actually does a really good job in that. Um, he's good in that movie. I liked him. Because uh, uh, he has like a... He's not really excited for Winston Churchill to be elected, but they end up kind of growing a friendship, a, a nice relationship as the movie progresses, which is nice. But um, I think the king died shortly after that because I think he had cancer. But I could be wrong. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I think Vin Mendelsohn has a really great death in here, and he is a, he is a fucking dick. And uh, nice casting. It was, it was nice having him in here. Yeah, I don't, I can't remember if his character is in the comics. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, probably but, not, no. But the character's name is Daggett, like John or Jack. John, I think, John Daggett. Uh, he's supposed to be like a rival billionaire um, that's trying to absorb Wayne, Wayne Enterprises. Enterprises. Wayne Enterprises. <laughs> yeah. like, how am I supposed to absorb Wayne Enterprises? <laughs> um, he uh, He's fun because uh, he's an unwitting element in a Bane's grander scheme mm-hmm. um, where he is a man with quite a bit of power and his, uh, his right hand man. Um, I know him from Pacific Rim. That guy has a fucking face and a fucking voice that is perfect for movies. He plays, a, he, he has a, a role in Game of Thrones. He, it's only, he's only in there for a few episodes, but he plays a shitty person in Game of Thrones. No, he, he, uh, he is a great character actor. Um, I haven't seen him in much, but I've been very impressed with him. But actually, um, you could have those two, like uh, Mendelssohn, be a Bond villain, and that'd be his number number two. <laughs> number two. Um, actor's name is Burn Gorman, by the way. They are um, mutated sea bass. <laughs> They're ill-tempered. <laughs> <laughs> worked for him apparently like seizing like properties in africa or something basically he's like the muscle that works behind the scenes as a mercenary um and then by the time he gets to gotham uh the shoes on the other foot where uh, he's been using daggett's resources to essentially plant bombs all around gotham um and then when it comes time for daggett's uh, usefulness to wear thin uh yeah he does get a tremendous cinematic death um it's all off screen uh, but the lead up to it is quite good. <laughs> uh, I liked it because the violence is implied. So, like you said, we do not know what happened to him. But the positioning of his hand yes. suggests that there was some twisting, and not not like not like Steven Seagal twisting, like some nasty twisting, where it's like, ooh, ooh, I don't, I don't think bone is meant to bend that way. <laughs> my my brother sent me like a little. Uh a little video of his uh, daughter. She's only like, she's about to turn two this year, so she's little, and she was just running around, and I had to send him that gif of him putting the hand on the shoulder, like, do you feel in charge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for uh, parents of young children, that is definitely something to keep in the yeah. back of your mind. Yeah. Um, and that's that's another instance of Tom Hardy's like brilliance of his performance, is that he's not even looking at him when he does that. Like, he's looking mm-hmm. away, and he just like quietly just puts that palm just on his shoulder just, sets just it right that, there. that it's almost like a gentle gesture but it's, it is it is a warning such a good delivery yeah um and yeah uh, this 
Daggett is a pretty small part of the movie, but he just he relishes being that that asshole. That part when uh, he kicks him out of the board meeting, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about? I, I feel like we're doing a little bit more on location, but we did it in New York this time. I don't think we're in Chicago. We went all over the fucking place for this movie. Actually, um, we the uh, the climax, uh, the the Wall Street fight, was on Wall Street. <laughs> I was just say that pretty yeah. Yeah, um, which is appropriate. Um, which is, I'm sorry, by the way, the framing of that, that whole end sequence is fucking stupid. I, I hate that last that last bit. I have a lot to say about that last bit. Mm. Um, but in terms of locations, the majority of the movie, I guess, was Pittsburgh. Um, oh, which is okay. why the Steelers are in the film, as the, as the Gotham Quote unquote, Rogues. yes. Yeah, as the Gotham Rogues, which, uh, good good design work on the part of the production designers actually designing yeah. the jerseys and the, and the logos and stuff um but yeah a lot of it was shot in pittsburgh um of course the first two movies were first one was largely sound stages but um both batman begins and the dark knight were largely represented by the city of chicago yeah um so it has a it has a different look to it for sure um but it still has that like open air quality to it that the dark knight has um so definitely puts batman begins um as being like the odd man out in terms of overall look and feel mm -hmm. um but yeah uh the wall street fight may as well talk about it uh, so the whole the whole big climax uh, after the uh after the stadium gets blown up after the bridges out of gotham get blown up um we have two speeches all down, all, after the cops are all down in the fucking sewers for a, a year i don't know yeah, this is an homage to uh, something that happened in the comics called uh, No Man's Land, um, where basically a giant earthquake hits Gotham City, and uh, the government pulls out of the city and kind of leaves it to its own devices. It's a comic book, so it works a little better than it does in a movie. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that all the uh, criminal elements in Gotham carve up different chunks of the town, and it becomes like Mad Max world for a bit. That's fun. Yeah, it was fun in the comics. In a, in a movie, it's a little weird because it's only the second half of a movie where we didn't really know that this was coming, and now everything's totally different. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, basically, the uh, the football stadium gets blown up. The mayor and essentially the local government get blown up as well. Uh, the mayor who was also in The Dark Knight. So that's another good bit of uh, retaining the cast um, mm -hmm. from the previous film. I like that. Um and Bane delivers two speeches back to back, um, and and they're in like declining quality because <laughs> um, the first one's okay, the second one is trash. Are you talking about his speech to Bruce Wayne in the cell? No, that one's fine. That I was gonna say fine. I like that one. No, that one's fine. After after Bruce gets his back broken, he gets dragged off to the pit, and then the logistics get a little hazy because mm -hmm. that looks like it's in uh, India or just. Oh, the logistics will make your nose bleed if you try to. If you yeah. Try to how, it how did Bane get to the other side of the world and back to Gotham so quickly and easily? How did Batman jump? Spoiler alert! How did Batman jump out of a pit after fracturing his spine from what I or dislocating his spine, uh, and then get out of a foreign? It's fucking Syria, dude. Like, it's yeah, so it, it, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't look like uh, they'd be able to help you much out there, and you have no identification. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's but, just like you're in China, stuck in China without a passport. Like, yeah, how how are you gonna get back there, dude? <laughs> you don't have any money for a private plane. Oh man, that would be like the ultimate irony for Batman. Like, just get like stabbed by a teenager in in 
like Syria or China or something, and that's the end of Batman. He just bleeds out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For like pocket change or something. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, uh, the speech in the prison's good. Um and really we haven't heard much from Baines. Maybe the third time he's spoken at length in the movie, but uh, his speech at the stadium, um, basically the stakes of the movie, I may as well just lay it out, are um, Bruce Wayne, uh, along with Miranda Tate, has crafted some sort of fusion reactor, which, okay, you mm-hmm. just casually did that underneath Gotham. Okay, you just did that. Um, but the, uh, the doctor, uh, the professor, um, who is kidnapped by Bane at the beginning of the movie, apparently devised a way to convert said reactor into a nuclear bomb. Um, So catching wind of that, Bruce Wayne decided to scrap the project. And uh, turns out that he did build the thing, he just never turned it on. Um, So Bane uses that professor to convert the reactor into the nuclear bomb, and now he's holding Gotham hostage uh, by hiding the bomb somewhere in the city. Um, So he blew up all the bridges going in and out of the city, Uh, he blew up all the local government, Uh, he blew up the stadium. Um, and he delivers this big speech talking about all manner of things. He kills the professor in front of the public. And he basically says, everyone in the city is now my hostage. Um, good luck finding the bomb. Oh, yeah, if anyone tries to leave, we'll detonate it. Uh, so Gotham City is completely cut off from the rest of the world, which begins the second half of the movie. Um, wherein... it a, it's a mixed message, though. He, he says, yeah, the Gotham's hostage. I'm giving it back to you people. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to blow it up, but you can have fun until then. Yeah, yeah, um, and it gets even more complicated by the second speech, wherein he he somehow when when Commissioner Gordon fell down to the sewers, he somehow stole his uh, speech from his pocket or something. Oh yeah, fuck! I forgot uh, about, about that Harvey stupid Dent. Shit. Yeah. Yes, this was pretty fucking stupid. Man. So somehow Bane thinks that telling the local, like the locals, just Gothamites, <laughs> um, that. Uh, Harvey Dent was a bad guy, not a good guy, is going to break their spirits. It's like, <gasps> there's going to be a lot of people who don't even know who that is. I don't think the DA is the biggest celebrity in any given town. Um, I don't think... Especially Bruce... the DA from eight years ago. <laughs> I don't think Chris Nolan really understands how much people will latch on to misinformation. Uh, I think we're actually... Um, underestimating how much people would believe this, <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's a fucking credible source. The dude with the fucking, uh, the dude with the mask told him that Harvey Dent's bad. That's binding, dude. That is that is a fact. But yeah, basically, he delivers this big speech that's captured by like the local news groups, and he's posted up in front of Blackgate Penitentiary, uh, where uh, using the Dent Act, I guess, um, all the people, all the mobsters, all the people who are rounded up. Um, during the the mob chase that happened in the Dark Knight um, are legally being held, um, which normally wouldn't be legal. Um, So he blows up the prison and frees everybody and arms them as well. Um, And then we get this really strange montage where um, this gets almost cartoonishly sloppy, where the editing in this movie gets a little weird from time to time. Um, First instance I noticed of it was uh, uh, after Bane and Batman have their first throwdown, um, when he detonates the ceiling and uh, the tumbler, uh, the camouflage yes. tumbler falls down from the ceiling, there's a jump cut. In a $200 million movie, there is a jump fucking cut where obviously they did it with actual pyrotechnics and a miniature, 
Um, but I think they either the miniature hit the camera or something, or or something got jostled because the tumblers in mid fall. There's a jump cut, and then we see the second half of it falling and hitting the ground. Um, that's sloppy. That's bad. Um, mm. That means something went wrong. Um, and here the editing gets dumb in that somehow Bane's speech, like word for word, they're like cutting away to all the things that he's saying. He says the phrase, courts will be convened. And then we yeah. see courts being convened. It's like, okay. And then, like, he says, like, blood will be shed. And then we cut to people running up and down the staircase in a mansion, like, beating, beating people up and stuff. Like the end of Gangs of New York. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea is, I guess, I guess he's freeing the criminal element um, because they apparently have a right to be free uh, because the Dent Act was not legal in some ways. But. Uh, it's it's just very confusing. Um, it's it's a very confused point. It doesn't gel well with the first half of the movie. Um, and what's weird too is that what I was saying about the comics about No Man's Land. Part of what made that work is that Gotham turned into a shithole. Like, like here, we we don't really get to see much of it because we don't really get to see the ground level of things. We get to see like military vehicles driving around the streets and stuff and we get to see that like the police like the remaining police who weren't trapped underground they're having to hide and stuff like that but it never seems really 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 bad you know um it and also the passage of time like we're meant to believe that a lot of time has passed actually i think it's a couple of months or something yeah, because the bomb is that the timer's ticking down so i guess they've just been surviving in these circumstances for quite a while and it just feels like things slowed down and nothing really came of it so was Ra's al Ghul's motivations like we gotta we have to uh cleanse Gotham because the people are all bad so are Bane and Talia like it's not the people that are bad it's the the people in power positions because they go after the mayor they try to take down Dent um they're I guess sentencing people who are in positions of authority I don't know I don't understand what their motivation is I think the initial motivation of the League of Shadows, it seemed to be pointing towards, like, Gotham is, is at its pinnacle, um, therefore it needs to be torn down. It's I, I think he actually makes an allusion to, uh, like, a, almost like setting fire to a crop. It's like it's a cleansing fire in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is, like, when, when a metropolis of some sort reaches, reaches the pinnacle of human achievement or whatever, it needs to be torn down for the, for the benefit of all mankind Mm. um so by the time it trickles down to um bane and talia it's like perverted into just like a destroyed old fucking thing (laughs) like like it doesn't really make sense anymore but that's that's where the um constant reiteration of bane having been excommunicated comes into play where it's like i don't think this makes sense anymore but it's just Mm. like a a goal that obviously he's a lapdog to talia that's something we haven't talked about but if she says jump he he doesn't yeah. even ask how high. He just jumps. He says how high. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you say where you think say everything you wanted to say about the uh, the set piece at the end, like them fighting on Wall Street? <sighs> no, <laughs> no. It, you want to talk about set pieces, Kyle? That's the only one. I mean, that's the one that stands out. Is like you're. It's like the climax. It's like the very last thing, and it's it's. I don't know what it is. The framing of it just looks so stupid. There's. I don't know what it is that bothers me about it. It just bothers me. Uh, it so yeah, looks we, like it's it looks like it's staged for a movie. That's I think that's what it is. It looks like it's in a movie. Yeah, um yeah, we we can start here and 
work our way backwards, I guess. Um, we already talked about the plane sequence, but I, I just wanted to talk about the first fight with Bane and Batman. Um, oh, do we not? We can... Not really. <laughs> but, um, okay. uh, yeah, the, the Wall Street fight, uh, some of the editing here is just, like, mind-boggling how bad it is. Um, and you're right. Like, something about the way it's shot, it feels very stagey. Um, There's too much negative space. Like I feel like the they they've got too much in the shot. Like they're they've got too many people just standing on the steps, but they're condensed to just those steps. Like it's not spread out at all. Like there's room to spread out, but they decided not to. Well, I want to say that this was an overly ambitious sequence, um, because in the old days, um, when you were doing an epic, this was how you flexed your budget: was how many bodies you could put on screen. That was your special effects: was how many bodies and costumes can you cram into the frame. These days, that's much, much harder to do, um, especially if you're filming on location on fucking Wall Street. Um, that seems a little overly ambitious, if you ask me, where if you, you have X number of thousand of extras who are supposed to do stage combat. So these can't just be any extras. These have to be people who have some measure of training and can be trusted to not fucking brain each other uh, mm -hmm. because they get caught up in things. <laughs> so you have all these bodies, um, and then there's a problem where we have X number of extras and whatnot, but for some reason it really doesn't feel like there are that many people there. Mm -mm. Because if you look at like the numbers of how many people were there, uh, it's, it's a very high number, but when you look at the way it's presented on film, it actually doesn't look that impressive. And I want to say it's because more than likely the logistics of filming there was difficult. Not only that, I think a lot of it was filmed on IMAX, so you, you're making it even harder on yourself. Mm. And then... What's more, filming on location with that many extras, on the clock, by the way, um, then you're intending to stage a climactic fist fight uh, between two actors who are not state, you know, fight fighting guys, mm -mm. like not they're not stunt people, um, amidst all of this. And what results is a really hastily choreographed, really, really basic kind of shit. I, and you can tell, like, there's some editing problems here where you can tell that we had to dumb down the choreography to make sure that both guys could get it done, you know, pretty quick because we can't have these people working around the clock day in and day out. We have it for X number of days and that's it. Uh, New York city waits for no one. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, then you have like really basic editing problems where like there's a, a part where uh, Bane kicks Batman and he, his leg, I think he uses his left leg or his right leg. It doesn't matter. But then we cut to the reverse angle, and his other leg is up. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's just wrong. And then, yeah, the, the choreography is really dumbed down to the point that it's, it's overly simplistic. Um, and also, things progress way too fast. Um, even from a logistical standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because we have a whole bunch of cops charging at people with assault rifles. Oh, that's so stupid. I forgot about that. Fuck. Yes. And then, for whatever reason, the people with the guns run at them, and it's like, Mm. Do you know how a gun works? <laughs> yeah, do you know how a gun works? Do you know how unhappy Bane is with you right now? <laughs> it's like, well, I guess if you're going to do something stupid, maybe run away from Bane. So that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Actually, that would have been kind of a funny way to, to defeat Bane. was like, he thinks he's going to get into a fist fight with Batman, and he just shoots him in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would happen if you had an imposter Batman, for sure. <laughs> if you were, I mean... Be, if you're going to shoot v Bane like you're going to in his death in this movie, why not have it be a little 
a little bit funnier. Like, he thinks he's going to get into a fist fight with uh, Batman. You think Batman's going to try to defeat, be the underdog, and just have him get shot in the chest? I'm like, well, that would have been kind of funny. And well, then I mean, having... in, in real life, in certain towns in this in this country, Bane would have been shot by an ordinary citizen a long yeah. time ago. Yes, yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, the, the final fist fight between the two of them is anticlimactic for the most part. I did really like the part when his uh, his mask gets tweaked where uh, the cinematography gets like a floaty feel to it where it, it feels you kind of like get in his headspace a little bit where he's off kilter. Um, and then we get that really good bit where he's like snarling at him mm-hmm. where he like devolves into like an animal for just a couple of seconds. I really wanted more of that from his performance because it's really good when he does it but it's only like a couple seconds here and there but he like gets Batman's back up against a pillar and he is punching holes <laughs> in this fucking stone pillar. So I guess it's supposed to represent, like, this is the, the animal at its most desperate. Um, and then very shortly after that is when he's defeated. And then we get the, Where's the trigger? Where's the trigger? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like the fight choreography in this movie at all. Like, the rooftop fight with Catwoman and Batman, that was awful. It's really bad the, um i hate the way it's framed like i feel like we're getting like that that 360 move again where he's just kind of oh, we're just gonna kind of go around this way and see how it's going. i i want to say it's another imax thing um mm. also there's i spotted an extra this time around that he falls down from nothing mm. like that is that's a problem like yeah. i'm used i'm used to the jackie chan stunt team like doing the putty patrol thing in the background like yeah. waiting for their turn to get hit <laughs> this guy doesn't get hit I always, that always blew my mind when I was a kid. I'm like, why don't they just rush him? Like, he's only there's <laughs> six of them. Why are they waiting to get hit in the face? He's going to hit you in the face. You're waiting to get hit in the face. Yes. No, that, that's their job. It's yeah. Like, this is the part where you fall down. But, um, th- yeah, there is a guy there that he takes no hit, and he still falls down. And it's like, we, like, it needs to be said. Christopher Nolan, uh, I don't know if he did the, this on every movie he's ever made, but supposedly he doesn't shoot with a second unit. Uh, usually there's multiple units that work on a, a large-scale film production. Um, and so he often, shoots everything? He shoots everything. Wow. And yet we get shit like that. Jeez, <laughs> like, Chris. I mean, there there is a thing that happens, I've noticed, um, with certain film directors. Not just him, but there are certain people who like shooting certain things who are not necessarily good at shooting those things. Hmm. And I want to say that Christopher Nolan has a gift for shooting vehicles, Vehicles in motion, he makes look sexy as fuck. Um, the editing comes together, the shots, the lighting, it all comes together beautifully. But um, fist fights, Mm-mm. not so much. Uh, gun fights, uh, he seems to have a sense for them. I wish he would put squibs in his movies, um, but he tends to. He, like I've said on previous episodes, um, I feel like he likes action, but he despises violence, um, which is why we don't often get gore or like just blood and guts in this movies it's usually like i think uh dunkirk isn't that like pg-13 it might be i don't know i i'm pretty sure it is and that's very rare for a war movie um but yeah uh, the the action choreography in this movie um i i said before that the, the first fight between batman and bane is much like the second um pretty it's pretty simple in terms of the way it's choreographed and executed um, but the emotional element is terrific. 
um, because there's there's no music. Uh, the lighting and the camera moves are, are on point. Um, the movements aren't particularly complicated, um, but the acoustics, like the, the hit sounds and uh, the, the key eye, like the, the grunts and the growls and the noises that they make, uh, Christian Bale in particular, like you said, there's that really great moment that, that that was what sealed the deal for me in the marketing for this movie that I knew I was going to be super hyped for. It. There's that, that one shot, uh, it's um, Bane walking up the stairs towards him on like a catwalk, and it's shot with Bane's back towards the camera and Batman's center frame, and he's got his fists up, and he just like yells at him. Mm-hmm. And it's like a frustrated yell, where it's like he's trying to summon all the strength he has, but it's not enough. And sure enough, the sequence that follows that we don't get to see until we actually get to see the movie is uh, him swinging and missing and just getting clobbered. <laughs> but like you said, like the the tone of his his cries and whatnot, it's he's like summoning his strength as as much as he can, and just this immovable object keeps walking towards him and doesn't even flinch. Like, in fact, there's this really great beat in the choreography where he's like Batman's mounted him and is like punching downward at him. And Bane eats like one or two shots to the face, and then he doesn't move for just a second. But then, like his arms just like spring into action. It's just like a blink. He just like ties him up and headbutts him and throws him off him. So it's like he was just waiting for an opening. And the whole, those two shots that preceded that opening didn't count for a whole lot. Um, and Bane's dialogue in that scene, it it it's so easy for um, like the Wonder Woman problem to happen. Where it's like every bad guy speech ever, mm. um, the 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 end of Wonder Woman. I I point to that as being like, oh my god, what what are we doing? Because <laughs> like, I was enjoying the movie for the most part up until the end of it, and then uh, what's his face from the island of Doctor Moreau ends up becoming the bad guy, and then we get him just speechifying and saying like bullet point for bullet point every stupid supervillain thing you could ever think to say. I actually think he, uh, he kind of just took over, Ben Mendelsohn actually took over his career. I feel like they could give very similar roles. Yes, actually, very very similar. Um, was Ben Mendelsohn in any of the Harry Potter movies? No. He's, oh. no, he's too dark for that. Because I know, I know the other guy was, right? Yeah, he's, uh, he's nobody's dad, he's just a dude. <laughs> he's just a dude in there. He actually dies in the last one, sad. I can't wait to watch those movies again, they're a lot of fun. Um... <laughs> I was going to mention something about that fight. I thought the 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 speechifying was kind of stupid in that in that um, that sequence because he's just like my regiment's better. I've been sticking to my regiment. You haven't been sticking to your regiment. That's why you're weak now. I'm like not really. There's not really a lot of weight to it. It's just like yeah, you're kind of a kind of a bitch now, and uh, I'm going to beat you now. What I liked about it was um, he's he's kind of getting inside of his head. Because there's that beat where right after he has his scream and he gets kicked off the catwalk. There's a lot of push kicks in the choreography, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, he Batman throws like a batarang that has smoke explosives in it, and Bane doesn't even move. Mm-hmm. Like it's meant to be disorienting, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I was taught that too." But if you if you see it coming and you well if you see smoke blowing up in your face and you're ready for it, doesn't really mean much does it but there was like no smoke like it was it was a it was pretty thing. wimpy <laughs> i'm like oh he's just like i'm like yeah there i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have been flushed by that either it was like like somebody threw a firecracker i'm like that's not that much smoke <laughs> yeah but I, I love that um early in the fight like batman comes out swinging actually it's actually kind of surprising 
Um, it works on a character level where the two of them are facing off. Batman's arrived in a trap because Catwoman placed him in it. Um, but Batman's the first one to throw a punch. And he steps to Bane. And then there's that moment where Bane catches his hand and he's like, Peace has cost you your strength. <laughs> Victory has defeated you. And it's like, the phrasing is really cool. Like, I like that, where it's like, you've been, like, you won your war on crime eight years ago and you've been taking it easy. Meanwhile, the rest of us have been out there, you know, uh, doing military coups in Africa and beating yeah. all sorts of ass on Wall Street. <laughs> I bet you didn't even do push-ups this morning. I was born doing them. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the dumber parts of this, the conclusion of this movie is that we're led to believe that those push-ups in prison were what got Bruce Wayne the strength he needed to beat Bane. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't work that way, buddy. What about cardio? Like, he would be winded after the first punch. <laughs> yes, push-ups... Push-ups are a great, great exercise, everybody. But you can do other things. You can do other things. <laughs> you can do other things. <laughs> but it's but yeah, the the parallel to Rocky Three, I think, is like really hammered home by the result of this first fight because that that was the idea with Rocky is that he lost the eye of the tiger uh, because he was sitting on a title. Like he he became the champion, and his task for the next several years was simply retaining it, not seeking it. Whereas Bane is on the ascent and Batman's on the decline. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a terrific sequence. I do think it's funny that uh, when he does inevitably break the bat, you know, do the, the backbreaker, um, I think they made it intentionally look shitty. Okay, because I thought it looked silly as shit. It looks silly. Uh, I think it was on purpose, though. And I think the intent was to make it uh, conceivable that he could come back from it. Uh, because in the comics, if you've seen really? the panel, and I'm pretty sure I've shown you it, he is bending him over his knee. Like, he, his spine is shattered. See, the way Whereas they do in the it, movie, he bounces off I, of his, his spine. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, I think it would have been more believable if he would have, like, grabbed him and not picked him up overhead, but, like, like lifted him up a little bit and, like, actually did, like, a quick knee into the back and you hear a pop or, like, him scream in pain. This, well, I'm just like, that's a little, it's a little too cartoonish. It, it adheres to the source material. Like, it does look like the motion that he did in the comics but the impact like he literally bounces him off of his knee mm -hmm. like, and the way it's described later is that he has like a, a vertebra that's out of place mm -hmm. it's not like a completely shattered spine like it no. was in the comics so i guess the idea was to make it like a potentially survivable event um, but it just it doesn't look as strong as it should be and there's also another jump cut in there <laughs> so again i don't know if shooting on imax cameras or maybe a floating flooding that set because it did have a water system in there maybe it was expensive or something and they needed to be in a hurry by the way um interesting makeup effects in this movie um and i have a theory so uh bane is usually um wearing a military coat or his napoleon winter coat um uncle knickknack summer wardrobe <laughs> um, uh Tom Hardy, his back and his shoulders are covered in tattoos. In the first fight with Batman, his shoulders are naked because they are covered in makeup. Mm. And that, if you're doing a fight scene with running water, shooting on IMAX cameras, that's just another thing you got to consider. Uh, so in between takes, you have someone touching up the makeup on his arms and his back uh, because he's sleeveless in the sequence. Uh, so from a logistical standpoint, that was probably a problem um, that that could result in getting fewer takes than may have been necessary 
Um, and also, I think that's part of why, you know, during the winter climax of the movie, you know, the, the big fight at the end, he's wearing long sleeves. Because, mm. you know, if we have all these extras, we can't afford to do that makeup shit. It's that like, Tom, just cover your arms. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because I noticed it in his other movies. So I was like, oh, that's not makeup. Those are his actual tattoos. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the first fight between the two of them is great. But um, last set piece, I mean, we already talked about Wall Street, but um, mm-hmm. last set piece is the vehicle chase, Kyle. And this features the bat, the the new vehicle introduced in this film. Uh, what did you think of that? I don't even remember it. All I remember is the dirt bikes. <laughs> well, that was the midpoint point of the movie. Um, yeah, the vehicle chase, I, I did really love. Oh, the in-vehicle chase? Yeah. I couldn't care. It, it Even in the theater, I'm like, this is whatever. Like, I I, I enjoyed the movie, but, like, the, the last bit of the movie, I was just like, eh. I wasn't yeah. really impressed by it. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I checked out a little bit when Bane met his end, because mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that that's what really happened. Like, that's yeah. really how we handled that. How could you be expected to pay attention after that? I was really, I was despondent. <laughs> like, I was like, what? Hmm? Really? I mean, I think in previous conversations you and I have had uh, outside of the podcast, that I think you were in denial. Like, you're like, he's not dead. He he's not died. dead. He could yeah, He's a big guy. <laughs> you're a big guy. You're a big guy. <laughs> yeah, he's so if you're not aware, um, Bane gets defeated um, in solo combat with Batman. I. Talia repairs his mask, and then he's getting ready to kill Batman with a shotgun. Um, you'll just have to imagine the fire. And then Catwoman shows up with the bat pod and shoots him in the chest. By the way, she knows how to drive that thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that looks hard to drive. Um, <laughs> and she's she driving was... it in in metallic stiletto heels. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she does know how to drive a motorcycle. I'm going to say she doesn't know how to drive that thing, though. No, the bat pod in real life... Um, you have to be trained how to drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he takes a cannon slug to the chest, and then he's out of the movie. That that's how Bane dies. This this character who you know is larger than life, and most of his most of his character beats involve Batman directly is offed by Catwoman very suddenly. I, I guess you could say it's revenge because the whole reason why she betrayed Bruce in the first place is that she was working for Bane and Daggett and was kind of under their thumb. That's why she betrayed him, is that she was afraid for her own life. So maybe you could say that her emotions in, in the matter were the stronger ones than, than Bruce and Bane's, but it's just such a unsatisfying end to such a great character. See, I think it would be better if they would have dumped him in a lake, like dumped him in the water, because I'm like, can Mr. Bane swim? No, he <laughs> He's got fucking 30-pound boots on, and he's got, like... 300 pounds of muscle like he's not swimming i mean like i said you ever seen a jeep swim because <laughs> i don't think that's how physics works but no but yeah seeing bane turn into a puppy like when when we have the reveal of talia as being rachel ghoul's daughter and we learn that he's in love with her and uh we have like a leon the professional weird age difference thing going on it's not that weird i think leon the professional is a little more weird but i'm with you yeah it's a little i mean she was a child when oh he... yes you're right yeah yes he, how the he's... fuck old is he exactly <laughs> he was an adult when he saved her he was um... in his 30s i saw that 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 mask come off. I'm like, okay this man is in his 30s yeah tom hardy gets exactly one shot in this movie where we get to see those big tom hardy lips mm-hmm um 
But yeah, there's a weird age difference thing going on, which is probably why Daddy Rage yeah. is not happy. Oh yeah, it's, we, we glossed over that. It was completely <laughs> warranted. <laughs> I mean, Daddy Liam is not happy with this arrangement. Yeah, I would be pretty pissed too. Makes yeah. sense. But um, yeah, when, when he's revealed to be a puppy, essentially, like her lap dog, I was like, oh man. He shat on his character twice in a row. <laughs> and now he's dead. And he's dead. <laughs> By the way, um, wonderful, uh, like, magic, uh, not special effects, but just, like, um, cinema- cinematographic trickery. Um, making Tom Hardy look huge. Thank you. Uh, I was going to bring that up earlier. I'm like, yeah. you it's done really well, but you're like I'm trying to figure it out, especially in the sewer scene, because that's when we really get to see his stature. Because um, when he's on the plane, actually when he's sitting in the back seat, he's tiny. He's actually the smallest person sitting in that car. And then we get down into the sewer, like he's fucking towering over these guys. It's all angles and uh, good casting of extras, because they probably hired small guys. Um, they mm-hmm. probably put him in lifts or had him stand on an apple box, um, which, <laughs> which is a thing that they do in Hollywood. But it's remarkably consistent, and it's totally believable because Tom Hardy is not a big guy. No, um, even um, even in this movie, he's probably only like two hundred pounds. So I'm gonna. Uh, that's what's so shitty. Uh, now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, of course you didn't see that coming because you couldn't see Bane. Like it, it just looked like a dude in the back seat. <laughs> like that's not Bane. That's just a five foot eight beefcake. <laughs> well, and and it needs to be said, his physical transformation. Um, he. He put on masks in the right places. Like, it's all in his... Arms. Arms and traps. Sh- it's all his traps. Um, my brother and I like to re- remark on his power belly. Mm-hmm. Because because he's he's a big guy. Oh, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, he's not a bodybuilder, though. He's just big. He was probably taking in about 200 grams of protein a day. Because he probably, he probably walks around at about 175, 180. And he was probably taking in about 200, 200 grams of protein a day just to get to that. But but what I mean by that though is that he put on like appropriate weight. Where mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't show up looking like a fitness model. He showed up looking like a guy Old. who works hard and is naturally big. Mm-hmm. And it, it like when he showed when we see him shirtless for one scene in the movie, it's like he just looks like he doesn't look like a guy who lives in the gym. He looks like a guy who works for a living. A friend of mine who uh, you used to work with and I used to work with uh, has gotten into bodybuilding. And he is packed on. He weighs 250 pounds now. He is jacked out of his fucking mind. He is a monster. He can't. I don't think he can fit through door. He can't fit through doorways, basically. Oh my god. <laughs> He's huge right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You'll have to tell me who that is. Not now, but <laughs> <laughs> you know who it is. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's a it's a neat transformation, and I love that. Uh, I love that it just it works so well on film. Where uh, he's probably between you and me in height, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I've seen behind the scenes photos of him. I think he's five nine. I think he's. I'm five I, seven. I, I don't even think he's five nine. He's probably really? five eight. Yeah. See, I and, thought that he was shorter, but uh, we're gonna check this out. I'm he might be five this. seven even. He's five nine. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what they say on Google. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you Tom Cruise is five nine. <laughs> on Google. Yeah, on Google. It's like a, it's like Google. A, it's like pro wrestling. They they even on Wikipedia they even have entries for 
real height and build height like what they say on the microphone when they introduce them like they say like oh the big show is seven foot five it's like seven foot even <laughs> i started doing um um I started hang. You've seen me do it before, where I just kind of hang, and it's supposed to um, decompress the spine because I do a lot of like kettlebell stuff. And I was really starting to do that at the gym, and I went to the doctor shortly after. And I've been walking around at five seven, five seven and a half for most doctor's visits. And my girlfriend was there, and he's like, "All right, so you are sixty eight inches." I'm like, "Do you hear that? I'm five eight. And she's like, no, it's, it's, you're five, I'll give you five, seven and a half. I'll give you the average. I'm like, no, 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 no. You heard him. Five, eight. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Your spine, like, decompressed or something. Yeah, I just kind of straightened out. I think I even said it for my, yep, I did. I said it for my license. Like, how tall are you? My five, eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I'm, five, I'm five, seven and a half. <laughs> I'm five, eight. I'm five, eight. <laughs> Ah, but yeah, behind the scenes photos, um, Christopher Nolan, I think, is taller than both Christian Bale and Tom Hardy, so it looks really funny seeing the two of them in costume and have this, like, I don't know, dopey-looking British guy be the bigger of the three of them. Yeah, that'd be kind of funny. Like, well, I mean, it would have been okay if you had, like, this, if Bane was actually short. I mean, you either have to have him be giant, like, just really, really big, or you could have him where he's, like, just low center of gravity, just, like, 5'8", and just jacked out of his mind the only way you could sell that the only way you could sell that on film is if you had quality stunt performers and he suplexed the fuck out of everyone just yeah. like you know wrapped around everyone's waist and just flung him over his head <laughs> like, <laughs> trying to think of a professional wrestler who i'd like to see play bane i'm gonna say Taz. stone cold Taz. Oh, stone cold steve austin <laughs> i mean oh man like i if I was to like motion graphics Bane's mask on top of a Stone Cold entrance, <laughs> the rattlesnake, the Texas rattlesnake is scary. Like he's an intimidating looking dude. You throw he's a got, mask on there. He has good eyes, actually. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, he could do it. He's a really nice guy and surprisingly liberal. Just yeah, fascinating. No, Stone, Stone Cold's a cool guy. Like every, yeah, Stone. I I didn't like him much when I was a kid, but Fuck now he has a podcast and stuff. He's he's a cool guy. Three sixteen. <laughs> gotta slap the beers together and uh, oh <laughs> hell yeah end up drinking about 10 percent of what you pour on your face <laughs> stone cold i mean you got a long night ahead of you you can't get smashed right now <laughs> trevor i'm gonna go ahead and tell you he was drunk before he went into the, <laughs> into the ring. i mean the stories about pro wrestlers i'm sure there were some pills getting passed around at the very least Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and that was, like, in the 90s when there was, like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, well, that was when they were at war with a company that was threatening to absorb them. Absorb WWF! <laughs> Juice, cocaine, power uh, power cleans. That's That was the WWF in the 90s. Yeah, whatever we got, we got to yeah. do it. Um, everybody, was a, everybody was on a Bane serum in <laughs> the WWF back then. Oh, um, before we talk about the vehicle chase and... I guess wrap things up. Matthew Modine. Oh, uh, we yeah. already talked about how much he sucks in this movie. Yeah, he sucks. I don't actually have a problem with Matthew Modine as an actor. No, uh, no but he's... actually he's good in Stranger Things. Oh, he's in that. Yeah, he's in the first season. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, I just watched, uh, well, rewatched uh, Pacific Heights, um, and he's he's kind of funny in it because he makes a lot of bad choices, <laughs> and he's very hot tempered in it, and he just seems like such a friendly guy. <laughs> Uh yeah, I liked him as Joker. It's probably his best role if I had to if I had to put one there. He 
we'll get to Vision Quest one day. That's uh, that's a movie that we're going to talk about. Uh, I am so excited. But um, the reason why I wanted to bring him up is that uh, he's supposed to be like I don't know the substitute commissioner, I guess, for Commissioner Gordon when he's out mm-hmm. of commission. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and he's ambitious. He's trying to hunt down the Batman. He makes the dumbest choice to uh, instead of the people who were robbing Wall Street. Uh, he diverts all the active police to chase Batman. Um, okay, that seems a little silly, but... Okay. Um, his thread is supposed to be that he's kind of a shitty cop, um, and that he's like a glory glory hound, and he's, you know, trying to... I'm gonna do what Jim Gordon never could do. I'm gonna catch the Batman, like, you fucking moron. Yeah, basically. Um, and he's continually wrong, and then when the city is under siege, when, when Gotham's blown up and under the thrall of Bane and whatnot, uh, Jim Gordon goes knocking on doors and is asking for help, and he refuses to help out. Mm-hmm. And then Gordon tells him he's a shithead, and he remarks like, oh, I'm not asking you to walk down Main Street with your you know, dress blues or whatever, and sure enough, that's what he ends that's up doing. That's what he doing. does, yeah. Um, and he's at the forefront of the action when they have their big fight at the end. Um, but, oh my god, the editing when he gets killed is horrible. Yeah. It's a blink-and-you'll-miss-it thing, and it has no payoff. It's just so sloppy. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he has a wife and presumably kids, so now I have really mixed emotions about him going out and getting shot. His kids to be in fucking college. Like, he's not... He, he's old dad. Yeah, but we at the very least, we get to see he has a wife, so he's got a family in town, and now mm-hmm. he's dead for doing a dumb thing. But, yeah, like, it's just a really quick throwaway thing where... Uh, Bane is taken care of. Talia is walking to the tumbler because now Bane has three tumblers, by the way, that he stole from Wayne Enterprises. I keep thinking tum- the, the website Tumblr. I keep, <laughs> I keep thinking he's got three tumblers. I'm like, damn, uh, really? I mean, that's the wrong thing. Bat- Batmobiles. Batmobiles. Yeah, the Batmobile. Um, and we get this really, in rapid succession, a lot of dumb things, dumb important things happen where Bane's right hand man, who I, I would presume was on Game of Thrones or something. Um, he's a British guy with a dour face. Um, I don't think so, but I yeah, I know where you're coming from. He's he's in the second season of the Punisher show on Netflix as the Mennonite. Um, they have a good throwdown to them, but he he looks sad and kind of strung out all the time. He has a great face for film. There's a lot of that in this movie. But he looks like he could play a heroin addict. Yeah. Um, by the way, he's the guy that brings a fucking fifty caliber rifle uh, to the the bar shootout. And somehow yeah. that that isn't a red flag to the police that, okay, someone has armor-piercing rounds and is killing SWAT members and just casually left the scene. <laughs> like, yeah, I forgot about that. He's just we like, didn't oh. track down that lead at all? That the didn't guy put up any the, red flags? The guy on the fire escape, pretty easy to get. The guy on the fire escape who shot through two plates of armor. <laughs> it's like, that's not a gun you get off the streets. <laughs> a cannon. Yeah, that is a cannon. <laughs> That's illegal. What you're doing is illegal. <laughs> but anyway, that guy is walking side by side with Talia, and he is so far off to the left of the frame that you'd be hard-pressed to recognize the fact that Matthew Modine shoots him then. It looks like he takes a bad step and, like, trips on the slippery <laughs> steps or something. <laughs> no, I mean, there's snow on the steps. Maybe he slipped. <laughs> and then he's just dead. He's gone. And then Matthew Modine apparently grabbed a rifle. Uh, he's shooting at him. And then Talia drives by him, tells her driver to shoot them. And then the next shot is Matthew Modine yeah, laying on the dead. ground. Yeah. No blood, just on the ground. And it's like somebody 
somebody probably forgot that oh shit matthew modine's in this movie <laughs> like we should probably do something with him it's like on the day of christopher nolan was like fuck <laughs> like i gotta get rid of this guy quick otherwise people are gonna have questions so it just feels so hurried and sloppy um, which brings us to the vehicle chase which is also it's very well executed in terms of like stunt work and stuff the driving and the pyrotechnics in particular are really cool but i i'm just not as invested in that as i am you know batman throwing down with bane mm -hmm. um and again he's in a fucking flying vehicle while they're driving an unarmed truck the car chase is interesting if the villain the villain we came to see is a part of that car chase i.e the fucking Dark Knight. That's an awesome scene because the Joker is front and center in that chase. The Bane exactly. is Bane is just crying on the fucking <laughs> on the Wall Street steps. <laughs> like, he's just fucking pouting. I'm like, I can give a fuck less about this. Yeah, it, I. That's my feeling on it. Is that yeah. there need what what I'm talking about is like think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is that or, the first one or the third one? First, or actually no, uh, Last Crusade works too. So think about the tank sequence in Last Crusade. Think okay. about why it's exciting. So we have Indiana Jones going from horseback to riding the back of the tank, uh, to fighting a bunch of Nazis on the tank. Uh, See, his the... dad and Marcus are both inside the tank, who he's trying to rescue. Oh, yeah. uh, the German general, who he's been you know, having problems with throughout the entire movie, is also in the tank. He has a fist fight with that general. They both go off the mountain together. It's an incredible sequence. And that's what I'm talking about, is if Batman is up here flying above the truck, he can't be face-to-face -face with the woman who's in the truck. Yeah. And it, it creates a separation. It just it takes the drama out of it, where it's like, okay, like I, I just can't get invested in this because they're, the two characters are separated from each other. I'm going to argue with you and say that the Nazi motorcycle chase was more fun in that movie. I'm going to argue and say you're wrong. <laughs> I think the music in that sequence is really, really, really incredible. It's my favorite piece of music in that movie. Um, the motorcycle chase, that is. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of execution and choreography, it's fairly brief. And it is fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but the kind of stuff you can do with motorcycles is not as varied as what you could do with a tank. Yeah. How uh, dare he... Well, we get to see every angle of the tank, too. Like, that bit when uh, he's trapped on the, the gun on the side mm -hmm. of the tank, and yeah. he's coming up into the wall, that's genuinely harrowing. Like, yeah. like as a child, I was like, oh, no, that's oh, not shit. good. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, the, the motorcycle sequence is quite good. But um, it's funny, listening to the soundtrack for this movie, um, I do a thing where I listen to the music sometimes before I see a movie. Like, if I know I'm going to like the music, I'll, I'll do that. Um, so I... I don't know, I create a movie in my head before I've even seen it. Um, and in this case, like, I had to look up, like, the extended version because for whatever reason, the music that plays over the sequence, which is a, a uh, homage uh, to the same music that played over the monorail chase in Batman Begins, it's kind of cool. It's good, uh, you know, revolutions, connections. <laughs> um, uh, that's not on, like, the ordinary score for the film. It's only on the extended cut. But in listening to that track, because uh, Catwoman's theme is on there, um, the same monorail fight music is playing over it, uh, the Deshi Basara chant is playing over it, what I pictured was the tank sequence from The Last Crusade, only it was Batman and Bane fighting on a truck. 
And in my head, I was like, oh, that would be so cool if we had the truck chase, but Batman, like, jumps out of the flying vehicle onto the truck to get into the truck or something. And then Bane climbs out of the truck, and he's like, get off my truck, motherfucker. <laughs> it's like, it's, you came back to die with your city. <laughs> something like that. Um, and then maybe, well, then the autopilot thing comes into question. But in my mind, that's how the movie ended, was with a, with a vehicle chase that comes in. It turns into, like, a almost, like, swashbuckling, like, fight on top of a moving vehicle kind of thing i was okay with him dying at the end that was i was totally fine with that yeah that's something that they're like alluding to throughout the script in the movie where it's like uh, i think catwoman asked him before the final battle like like you've given them everything he's like no not everything not yet well i think uh i think some of the movies that I've watched, like Chris Nolan movies, he does a really good job of like finishing a movie. I think The End of the Prestige is really good. It's just overall, I think it's his best movie. Um, and I think what you could have done at the end of this was like, yeah, maybe he died, maybe he didn't. But then you have Alfred in that in that uh, little cafe, and he looks up and he sees somebody that looks like Bruce, but he just he just never like he never confirms it. Like you just see like somebody who has like his hair and stature, and he just assumes that it is. I remember people were concerned that we were going to get an Inception ending. I would be like, fine with that. I like the I like the ending of Inception. I I do too, um, but for Batman, mm, <laughs> it's like I don't know if people would be happy with that. But a lot of people were saying that like, and actually, like the way it's edited, it does feel like it could have ended that way, where Alfred looks up into the camera and then smiles and then snapped to black. Oh, that would have been fucking perfect. God damn it. <laughs> That's how you end the movie. Well, a lot of people thought that was going to be the end. Oh, no, you have him just sitting in the fucking cafe. By the way, dude, you're a fucking billionaire. Oh, you were a billionaire. Like, they're going to figure... Well, yeah, it doesn't matter because he's not dead. Well, they have but, a... They do have a, a, a plot device in the form of... Um, was a, It's some sort of phony technical device that... It, it's called the Clean Slate. It's the whole reason Catwoman is working for Daggett. She wants this device yeah, that... Yeah, yeah erases your online profile so wait is bruce wayne okay so they have a funeral form at wayne manor which they have to assume everybody has to assume that bruce wayne is dead did they say how bruce wayne dies not batman bruce wayne or did they tell everybody bruce wayne was batman i uh, i don't think they told anyone okay um, so because that funeral walk, was pretty private yeah walk with me here so they either have to keep up they either have to keep up the they have to assume that Bruce Wayne is alive, that means that Alfred and everybody who knew who he was, now Commissioner Gordon, have to, like, oh yeah, nope, there he went. He was just right there. <laughs> Bruce Wayne was just right around the corner. Or they find out that Batman is Bruce Wayne, and people are going to recognize you, dude. Even in a foreign country, you're a fucking billionaire. People from the United States go and visit foreign countries. You're well, in a fucking, <clears throat> in a public place. That's where Robin comes in. That the the ending of the movie, the the actual last shot of the movie is Robin. They're at a, like doing the last will and testament for Bruce Wayne or whatever. Yeah, so and he did die. Yes, he did die. Okay. Um, and then the idea is that Batman isn't dead because Robin will take up the mantle of the Bat. Uh, so Bruce oh. Wayne, <clears throat> Bruce well, no. Wayne can start his life anew, and then Batman, people won't make the connection that they're the same person because they're still a Batman. But Batman was had a fucking statue because they assumed he died in that explosion. They assumed. They assumed the Bat- he died. They, they gave him a statue. They gave him a statue, though. Yeah, but he's Batman. 
<laughs> I'm gonna say logistically it doesn't make sense, but okay. It doesn't, but he's Batman. Like that's that's the point. He's supposed to be larger than life. He's supposed to be greater than a man. He's a he's a title. He's a I'm talking about the Bruce Wayne element. Like it's not gonna work. You have to go scrub toilets in a monastery if you're gonna fake your own death, especially if you're that high caliber of a person. Like yeah, well, you're... I mean it's Christian Bale, just like. I don't know, get a Dick Cheney haircut and put on a bunch of weight. And there, you <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think you made, you said it perfect. Like, that would have been the perfect ending if Alfred just kind of would have looked up and smiled. And then, yeah, and then done. the music builds, and then he smiles. He gives a little smile, and then snap to black. The Dark Knight Rises. Brilliant. The theme music. That would have been um, awesome. But yeah, the actual last shot of the movie is uh, Blake finds the Batcave. Um, he was given some like GPS coordinates by Bruce Wayne via his will. Um, and then he goes in through the waterfall, and then the uh, cube platform rises up, rise, and then uh, the camera pushes into the cube, and uh, we get the title. And uh, I guess Christopher Nolan actually likes to, uh, he likes his ending shots. Like, he sometimes structures his movies around, like, the closing I, shot. I like that because you can see directors who had a hard time with, like, finishing up the movie, like the ending. Uh, Apocalypse Now, I think... The trouble production as is, but like the ending is just like this is what you came to. And I remember watching the documentary, and even Coppola was just like, I didn't know how the fuck I was gonna end the movie. Like that, that that'd be so frustrating, especially if you're not super confident in what you've done so far. You're like, well, now how the fuck do I finish this thing? That is, that is an it is an interesting way to go into a movie. Like know exactly how you want to end the movie, and you can structure the movie to get there. Yeah. Also, I think uh, I think the fact that he works with his brother um, probably helps a lot. And structuring his films uh, just having a like-minded person work mm-hmm. in tandem with you um, also someone think... that i was gonna say somebody that will tell you that this is stupid like that you can tell you handy too <laughs> yeah bruce this is fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> jonathan shut up <laughs> i keep saying bruce nolan it's fucking christopher nolan well we've been inundated with bruce's for an entire month so far yeah so no kidding it, it'll happen sorry but um but yeah, uh, I guess that that's about all I had to say, I think. There's certainly more to say, but that's all that comes to mind right now. Um, this movie has a lot of problems. And mm-hmm. in my mind, they're almost all relegated to the second half. Uh, yeah. I actually thoroughly enjoy the first hour of this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I really enjoy it. Like, more so than some of the other Batman movies we've talked about, in fact. But as soon as soon <clears throat> as soon as Gotham gets blown to hell... And they pull the lens way the fuck back and turn it into an epic at the drop of a hat, where it's like a cast of thousands and it's supposed to be about the general populace of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Whereas before we had like a very focused and structured narrative about, you know, people wearing masks and like supervillains and stuff. All of a sudden it's about Occupy Wall Street and, you know, the ninety nine percent lashing against lashing out against the one percent. Yeah. Um Overly ambitious. It didn't need to be an epic. It actually kind of reminds me of totally different movie, but uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, mm. where El Mariachi, great. Desperado, fantastic. Once Upon a Time in Mexico, nobody fucking talks about it because it's a mess. Right? Mm. <laughs> and uh, Willem Dafoe plays a Hispanic person in it, which is oh, gosh. a little weird. <laughs> and uh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's just overly ambitious. They pull the lens way too far back, and they try to they try to lean too heavily into the themes that just don't carry enough weight. Um, be, because I was having too much fun with the characters, 
and then you take them away from me. <laughs> it's like, but I don't care about Gotham. I want to see Batman. <laughs> yeah. And certainly not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's not. A, he does not replace Batman at all. No, he's Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a person that I will put up with if I want to watch the movie. And if I don't want to watch the movie, it's probably because he's in it. Yeah, and if they're going to make things overly ambitious, I would have liked it to lean more into like the comic book side of things rather than like the true life, like mm. I don't know, socioeconomic disparity kind of themes and stuff. Because we have the Scarecrow, we have Cillian Murphy show up briefly in the movie as you know a goofy judge guy who's yeah, that was uh, stupid. Yeah, that it's like a kangaroo court thing. Yeah. It's it's cute, but it's such a disparate element that does not fit in with the it, rest of the movie no at place. all. It has, it has no, no place. place being in this movie. In fact, the set design for that scene obviously had a lot of love and care put into it, and it looks radically different from the rest of the movie because he has like a, a a podium or like a judge's stand, like a makeshift one, and then mm. there's papers strewn about, and there's like uh, metal gates placed on the staircase where it looks like a, a, a handmade fortress like made by a bunch of homeless people or something it's something that would be in a butt rock video from like the 80s it's like we're holding court now like motley yeah. crew behind the stage kind yeah of thing. it looks like a level from earthworm gym or something it, yeah, it's, it's kooky cool. it's off the wall but it looks nothing like anything else in the movie such that i want to say more was filmed there it just didn't find its way into the finished film um but if you're going to do that do more of that Mm. <laughs> like honestly just go nuts with that but again the shadow that looms over the whole production Heath Ledger mm-hmm. we didn't have him I was um, just thinking about him just now while you were talking no it it's it's something that can't be we can't not mm. talk about it because it's pretty clear that many other things many other better things probably could have done been done with this script if we didn't have to deal with that because they were they were so respectful of him that they didn't even mention his character's name. They, there's no hint of Joker in this film. In his short-lived career as an actor, I want to po- highlight just two movies that I think are worth your time. Maybe you've seen them, maybe you haven't. Um, one is uh, oh, Monsters Ball. He plays the son in that. The movie gets. I mean, that's the. I think that's what got Holly Berry her uh, her Oscar. It's it's a very dark movie, but it it's still very much. It was very watchable, and uh, his his thread in there is kind of sad but can uh candy is um a movie of his that i saw before i actually left for the military um before the like the dark knight even came out um plays a heroin addict he and his girlfriend uh struggle with heroin addiction and it's it's a very dreary movie but it it's really good i i'd say that's probably my favorite movie of him but I was thinking about him in like Ten Things I Hate About You and just his like, what is this chick going to be a fellow with nipples or something? And him going from that and like him saying like, where is Harvey Dent? I'm like, that's not the same guy. That's fucking insane. And I'm thinking of him like accepting a best supporting actor, like just him up there without the makeup on. Just like, wow, I can't believe that guy did it. And we don't get that. Cause he yeah, we didn't died. get to see that acceptance speech. But yeah. um, I mean, Brokeback Mountain. Totally oh, I forgot guy. about Brokeback. That's totally that was different good too. guy. He's yeah. a grab, gravelly voice. Like he's kind of like he's almost like he, Boomhauer from King of the Hill. <laughs> he fucks up those two dudes at the fireworks thing. That's pretty good. <laughs> he fucking kicks the shit out of those guys. It's a good movie. Yeah. Um, sad, but, yeah, but good. Sad for sure. Um, beautiful to look at. Though. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! The the skies, yes. the skies. Holy shit. Um, but yeah. Um, Christopher Nolan era, 
I guess that draws things to a close. Um, yeah, much like his third installment, we're pushing about two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. It's, uh, about. I had I, a feeling I, we'd have a lot more to say about this one. I, I was worried that we wouldn't. Uh, mm. I knew I had a lot to say. I wasn't sure about you, so I'm glad that we had a conversation. It was a little. We were kind of all over the place with this one. That's what makes it more fun. Yeah, it, it was fun for me. Hopefully, it's fun for the listeners. But um, yeah. warts and all, I appreciate this movie. I'm mostly just glad that we got it, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm really happy that we finally got a, a real Bane on film, even if he was very, very different from the comics. Um, and now the comic Bane is very, very similar to this, so it's like, yeah. you know, it worked out for everyone. But I'm, I'm just glad that the story got an ending, because The Dark Knight didn't feel like the end of that particular story. It felt like a middle chapter. Um, and yeah, uh, not much else to say, so I guess we'll draw things to a close here. Mm-hmm. Um, next week we'll be covering the Zack Snyder era of the Batman film franchise. We will? Shit. <laughs> um, Kyle's making a panicked face right now. You did exactly. not see that coming. Um, no, I didn't this will see... Be easy for, this will be easy for you because um, Batman vs. Superman is technically the only movie you need to watch. Oh, man. Um, Justice League you've seen before, correct? I've seen, yes. I don't remember a, a lick of it. And I, I... Yeah, I don't remember any of it. Okay, well... Batman vs. Superman, I am going to ask you to watch. I know you're not looking you're forward so to You're so excited. That. You're so excited to talk about that. But I'll, I'll take it easy on you. We'll only talk about the Batman stuff. We're not going mean, to talk about... If we're going to be committing an episode to it... I mean, it's a three-hour movie, is it not? It can be. <laughs> I hear Zack Snyder like, no, 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 that's Watchmen. I don't think Batman v Superman's three hours. It's, it's very Watchmen. long. I'm, and it has an extended edition. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not watching the extended edition. Okay. Well... Um, we can talk about the film. We can go, like, we can highlight Batman a bit more, but if there's things you want to get to, please feel free. Okay. And Justice League is probably worth talking about. But, again, if you only want to talk about Batman stuff, like Ben Affleck's portrayal of the character, if mm-hmm. not, then we can stick with that. Okay. I will not ask you to rewatch Suicide Squad. Cause I know Thank you, you. I know you can't do that. Uh-uh. I know the universe will, the heat death of the universe will initiate if you rewatch that movie. Um, Kyle will will the end of existence if you have How to watch that again. How do you get Will Smith in a movie and you give him a woo? You give him a fucking woo, and then you don't even give him the rest of the movie to do stuff. Like it's it's so infuriating. Yeah, um, but Ben Affleck's Batman is in a couple minutes of it, so I will I will cover that. You don't have okay. to. You don't have to rewatch it. I won't ask you to do that, Kyle. Thank um, you. But if you could watch Batman versus Superman, if you can stomach it. Oh, it's gonna be tough. I know, I know, but, uh, <laughs> but we can get through this together. <laughs> um, but yeah, that being said, um, tune in next week for that. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to catch some of our other podcasts, uh, you can look them up on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at catchinguponcinema, as well as a Twitter at catchingcinema. So feel free to reach out to me there if you have any. Uh, just anything you want to throw my way or any suggestions for future episodes Um, that being said uh, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time yeah